Hello, good people. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is a re-airing of an old uh, show I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This episode originally aired March 21st, 2014. It features myself, Robert Cooper, and Sean Comer as we tackle maybe the deepest rogues gallery in all of comics, looking at the villains of the Batman franchise and all of its uh, associated properties. This was part of a trip through the land of comic book villainy that I took around this time. And no discussion of comic villainy is complete without discussing the totality of the rogues gallery of Batman. As I said, maybe the strongest rogues gallery in comics. It's, it's remarkably deep. Wide variety of characters. Uh, good time was had by all. As I mentioned, this, this took place in 2014, so... Prior to Bat, uh, Ben Affleck as Batman, so there will not be a discussion of anything after that. We're just a little bit removed from the conclusion of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. So any other iterations of these characters uh, post this you know, the date aren't going to happen because they didn't exist yet. So please bear that in mind. This is being re-released here, I assume in conjunction with the release of the Robert Pattinson starring The Batman uh, which will be the subject of a damn you Hollywood, I am certain. So, if you're interested in that, tune in for a thought there. The Joker, not a big point of discussion here. The Joker has his own episode that I think has already been re-aired. If not, it will be re-aired at some point in the future. Uh, this is more the rest of the rogues gallery, which is still a fascinating concoction of characters. So, before we get into the show proper, let's pay a couple of bills. First sponsor of the evening... Amazon Music, a, a streaming catalog of over 70 million songs, and we here are offering you, well, Amazon's offering you listeners of this show, a free 30 days uh, to just go ham through their service. Uh, it's an incredible streaming service of music, the best in the internet for my money. Now, I bring that up here because the music associated with Batman in film and video games and television has always, always been a major component of its success. And on Amazon Music, you can find any of the themes that you'd like to play around with, uh, any of that stuff. It's all there. AmazonMusic.com. If you're, in, if you're interested in this service, get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. Let them know that we're the ones that sent you there. That helps you. No, that helps them. Helps us. And you get a free 30 days of the Amazon Music service. Uh, Great stuff. If you don't want to type that into your search bar, there is a link in the description below the podcast. Also, sponsoring us for this particular episode, Grammarly. For you listeners of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy's Re-Air series here on the W2M Network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. It does it all. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network. Once again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network to download Grammarly for free. Again, there is a link in the description below if you'd rather just click that. All right, with all that out of the way, we throw it back to past me as we discuss... The Rogues Gallery of the Batman. 
have a good uh y'all enjoy the show Psychological problems, and well, I'm not like an expert in the psychological field. Just 
any means, it's still pretty awesome to wax psychologically going. So yeah, 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 I'm here. The only thing that suffers is my plug section because you take like ten minutes. So no, that was last night where I took literally ten minutes because we had <laughs> nothing to do but commentate a NCAA basketball game. I'm sorry. There was All right. there was that and, sports. And he's been back for a podcast for a whole podcast, so I don't get to steal Mark's uh, excellent welcome back medley of tunes. But fresh off his time in the Fortress of Seanitude, Sean Comer is back here, everybody. Sean, welcome back. I'm the green and black wearing space cop that managed to punch Batman clear back to the Silver Age. That was yeah. good. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we we have to have an inter- have an entertaining show tonight. It's our it's our sworn duty as Rod and broadcasting members because um, right now our. Uh, our glorious enlightened leader is currently celebrating disarmament day, or, or, or should I, or should I say, he's um, he's wincing and recovering from disarmament day. Oh, so uh, in this case, I suppose in this case we go with what two is enough. Uh, so uh, you know, if 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 I were a person who had any interest in kids as anything other than an appetizer, uh, I know that's about where I'd stop. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> all right, Mark, we wish you well uh, in your recovery and as well as everything else. Because we all know Mark's about to go on the Jonas Exodus anyway. So best of luck yeah, to so the Radlich family as they graduate. Why not? Why not exercise a few other? Things? I mean, hey, you know, just just think of it this way. At least we all know how China felt. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. For, for, for the record, did that come across like I was trying to make a joke about Mark's weight? Because that really wasn't what I no. was going. No, okay. no. How is, okay. No, no, not as, Oh, I didn't think about his weight. No, when you said disarmament, I was like, I'm like, wait, I thought he liked guns. And I was like, oh. When you mentioned two kids, I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, this, hey, is off to a roar, <laughs> this is off to a roaring start here, ladies and gentlemen. Right. He, he, made, he made the joke first. It's just unfortunate that I happened to also catch it. Because <laughs> now we'll be to death. All right. Before we go way too far off on a bizarre tangent, let's uh, let's get down to some Batman villains. Now, I very specifically, uh, I thought the Joker's got his own. The Joker got his own podcast, and I don't want to dwell too much on him here. But I figure before we get going, if I'll give each of you. What's Mark's deal? 50, uh, 50 words or less, if you want to just very briefly mention the Joker before we start on with the rest of his villains, because, you know, you can't... He should at least be mentioned. So, Sean, you got anything, you know, in the very... You know, in, in the... In the ugh, God, I can't talk tonight, folks. Got anything, uh, you know, as long as you're kind of brief about it to say about the Joker? Oh, sure. Fairly briefly, um, in order of preference, the greatest performers ever portray the Joker outside of comic books are, from top to bottom, um, Mark Hamill, Heath Ledger, and Michael Emerson. In, in that order, that is gold, silver, bronze. Um, the first two are pretty obvious where you can see those performances. However, as the last one, if you have never seen the DCAU, that's DC Animated Universe, uh, adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. for God's sake, track it down 
any way you have to, um, because the Emmy-winning Mr. Benjamin Linus himself smacks the sumbitch right out the park. Um, and actually, I would, I would say this. If I had to pick somebody who would be running about maybe a point behind for that bronze medal, um, it would be Troy Baker, simply because while he did an outstanding job, he's only, well, I don't know. It's hard to say, really. I'm, I'm partial to Michael because he had to play a very, a very aged version of the Joker and one who was coming out of a, a pretty fragile psychological state. And it really was pretty effective, pretty effective, because he sounded kind of, he had kind of just enough affectation in his delivery that he really did sound like an older, slightly more worn down, but still very dangerous Mark Hamill. Um, Troy did a great job, but I was just never quite as invested in it as I was in Michael Emerson's performance. However, if Mark Hamill is indeed, as he said he is, done, um, Troy is a more than worthy successor. And for all the flaws in it, if you haven't played Arkham Origins, for God's sake, endure the bugs, endure the imperfections, and if you're a gamer, go out and do it. Go out, and, go out and play through at least once because it's worth it just to hear him really bring a whole different kind of life into that role. And that aside, I would also kind of end it by saying just briefly that my favorite appearance of the Joker in, uh, in comic form is a little bit of a cop-out, but I would have to say that it would pretty easily be the killing joke um, because that is kind of right up there alongside a death in the family as the Joker at his very most destructive when it comes to hitting Batman right where it hurts. Um, it doesn't hurt either that I'm very partial to the way he was drawn it as well. Uh, he's, he's almost always fantastically rendered by, whatever, by almost whatever artist takes the pen, with the exception of the fact that, you know, I... Um, I absolutely hate the way Jim Lee uh, drew him in The Long Halloween and Dark Victory and uh, Haunted Night and whatnot because, goddamn, those those ridiculous-looking... Uh, Jeff wrote him so, so very well in that, but I just can't get past that cartoonishly exaggerated mouth. Mm. It's, oh, it's, it's a so, big one. so distracting. But... Anyway, All right, Coop. My luck, sort of it. No, Coop, I never noticed how, how cartoonishly large his uh, Joe was. But hey, still love Long Halloween. It was awesome. Though so I did like shit all over Jeff Loeb last week, and it was deserved. It was a really uh, good comic. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes Jeff deserves it. Well, yeah, I mean, I was talking about an Ultimate 3 and Ultimatum, and yeah, that was bad. He should feel bad. But, yeah, yeah, the, the Joker... Uh, definitely Mark Hamill's version of it. That's really where I get a lot of my Batman love from because not only did I grow up with that, like throughout my middle to high school years, I actually got all the DVD sets. So I was able to watch all of this all the way through. And, oh, so good. Such an amazing show. Probably one of my favorite animated series of all time. It's not my favorite, 
So I'm getting into more anime, so it's starting to get a little tough. But anyways, anyways, yeah, the Joker, he is he's one of those characters where you feel like he should be one note because he's kind of just like a crazy clown when you look at him. But then he kind of gets into some of the backstory with, like, you know, Under the Red Hood with, you know, he was a allegedly a failed comedian who uh, got caught up in shit and, yeah, fell into a vat of, some of the vats of, a vat of ass, something like that. Something like that, that, yeah. It was a vat of, don't fall in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, what, that's where I'd put it. But, yeah, uh, definitely the two comic stories you mentioned, The Long, uh, sorry, not The Long Halloween, uh, The Chilling Joke. That one was really good. That was that is Alan Moore doing what Alan Moore does really well, which is taking things and making them really, really great, even better than they should be. Well, it's making it sound like them they're not supposed to be good. But you, you, you get what I'm saying. Like, it's already great. And Alan Moore just, like, puts yeah. it a step above. It was amazing. And then, uh, yeah, with the... Uh, uh, I don't worry about it. All right. So moving on from the Joker, who we all kind of agree, you know, I know Pat Mullins out there going, stop talking about the Joker. He never beat Batman. He's clearly not the best comic villain of all time. But we're moving on to the rest of the the rest of the rogues gallery here. And I want to start with, you know... We got close. <laughs> ironically we, we enough, I close. flipped a coin, and I came up with Two-Face to start things off for us tonight. So, <laughs> so Sean, I want to start with you. Uh, you know, Harvey Dent, the poor bastard, just such a tragic figure... Uh, you know, whatever version of him you go with, with the exception of Tommy Lee Jones doing just... <laughs> I enjoyed that movie, and I get a kick out of his performance because it's so ludicrous. But objectively speaking, it's one, another one of those It's another one of those performances that just kind of messes with the integrity of the character. But just, you know, if we're going to... Let's start with Two-Face, Sean. So where do you go with, uh, you know, Gotham's... Uh, we lost Sean for the moment. All right, so Coop, let's go with you then. Oh, boy. Okay, uh, yeah, Two-Face <laughs> Two is a really, really interesting character. You, you can look at him as, I mean, the way that they portrayed him in, uh, you know, The Dark Knight was really well done. You know, either die a hero lives long enough to see yourself become a villain, and that's really, like, the how he just turns out quite often. Like, in almost all the stories, he starts out with this really, uh, really good, really righteous, you know, force for good in a city like Gotham and just totally, totally gets wa- wasted by acid, really, really, really fast. I think it was acid. I'm pretty sure it was the same stuff yeah. the Joker fell into. <laughs> well, sort of. Yeah. Uh, the sto- the, the, I believe the accepted kind of origin for Two-Face is he was prosecuting, I believe, Carmine Falcone, some big mobster who okay. managed to smuggle acid in, and in the, middle of the, in the middle of him being cross-examined by Dent, he throws acid at him, and it yeah. wrecks half his face. Yeah, which I, which I actually think is funny because I just kind of thought of, I guess it's a good thing that Batman does wear a mask because with uh, Dent, he put a face on the justice of the, uh, you know, like a real a real face, a real person you could get to on the justice in uh, Gotham. And then we saw what happened to him. Like, Gotham is such a fucking shithole that no matter, like, you know, unless it's some crazy, like, psychologically scarred, giant nine-year-old in a bat costume, like, pretty much anybody who comes in and tries to save the city is going to end up just being another member of the, the, hell, the hell of a society that Gotham is. I mean, that's how, that's kind of how I see Harvey, Harvey as. Maybe maybe he's really just a testament to how awful Gotham is, because he, he's uh, like one Sean's of the people that actually tried, you know, tried, tried to do something 
positive, and he ended up with half a face. Yeah. All right, Sean's back with us. So, Sean, just kind of your thoughts on Two-Face. Live, everybody. Live, <laughs> Um, My thoughts on Two-Face. Um, you know, I actually haven't been a comic reader really all that long. And one of the interesting things that I learned very early on was from uh, my good friend uh, Cole Marantek, um, who is a very devout DC fan and a very impassioned and opinionated one, both about the things he loves and the things that he hates. And one of the things that Cole explained to me at one point, I think it was Cole, it was either Cole or it was 411 Mania's Jeremy Thomas, one or the other, um, explained to me that apparently there is a publicly acknowledged DC edict that no one in the Bat family is ever allowed to have a happy personal. It is one of those books in which you are guaranteed that you are practically never, ever, ever going to get anything really resembling a happy ending. There's always going to be a bittersweet note that's always going to be much more bitter than sweet. And it's also been acknowledged throughout that Batman tends to hold, Batman slash Bruce Wayne, obviously, tends to hold two, two events in his history really more personally than any other as being failures that he can never completely escape. Well, okay, three of them. I'll say three of them. Uh, two of those you attribute to the Joker. You attribute, number one, Joker paralyzing Barbara Gordon and... Um, taking the role of Batgirl away from her, even though she eventually became Oracle until DC healed her broken back because shut up. <laughs> uh, the other is the death of Jason Todd, which DC also actually kind of undid, but they kind of did this one right because they did it strictly as a, as a way to continue fucking with Batman. And the third was... Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face, because Harvey, depending on which continuity you read, and I'm not going to go over the infinite Earths of DC continuity, yeah, was the idea that he always admired Harvey and respected him as being, although it's become cliche nowadays, the hero that, Goth that Gotham really needed. It became cliche because the Dark Knight did such a great job of explaining this particular bit of character interaction. Right. It, it did, but people tend to also forget... The thing they tend to forget about it, though, is that the way the Dark Knight adapted um, the long Halloween was not the way it really played out. Because, actually, if you go back and read um, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's amazing story. Uh, which is which is one one of the better Batman arcs ever crafted. Um, Harvey, in reality, was no White Knight. Um, in that story, he was a man pushed not just to the edge, but privately behind closed doors, pushed past it to the point that he was forced to do bad things for what he felt were the right reason. And in the end. It ultimately cost him, it cost his family, and as far as Bruce Wayne was concerned, it cost Gotham the man who could publicly take on all the forces that he had to do in the shadows by cover of night 
always just one step ahead of ahead of the police and sometimes making deals with the police um, or with Commissioner Gordon anyway to be given just enough leash to be able to do enough because he could do the things they couldn't. And so that really continually haunts, haunts Bruce, haunts Batman uh, throughout all his entire career because it's, it's somebody that, that he loved that he couldn't save. And in and in a way, it's it's kind of one more reminder every time he sees him of everybody that he's been up So that almost more so than the villain's gimmick is what really makes him compelling. Um, so, Well, a lot of these Batman villains were started out as just kind of gimmicky characters to play off of Batman. And it's just, it's a testament to the people involved that they were able to move past, oh, it's Two-Face, so he robs... I mean, and originally he did a bunch of kind of gimmicky stuff like that. He was yeah. robbing he Gotham. Yeah, he was robbing Gotham's second national bank at 2 p.m. on February the 2nd, trying to steal $2 million. I mean, just odd stuff like that. And they, you're able to get away from that and get into a compelling character when you, you get past all the campiness and the gimmickry. You, there's some substance there, and it's a credit to everyone involved that they're able to get into that. Speaking of getting into substance, as opposed to where you know necessarily where things start from, uh, Mr. Freeze. I was uh, a little bit of backstory. I was I'm about the same age as Robert Cooper here, and so I spent a fair amount of my childhood enjoying Batman the Animated Series. Universally regarded as one of the best, if not the best, episodes of that series is, I believe it's called Heart of Ice, and it's the introduction of their version of Mr. Freeze. That was my first exposure to Mr. Freeze, so for the longest time, I thought that was Mr. Freeze. Well, you know, years later, I did some research, because, you know, I was doing... I forget exactly what I, why I was doing it, but I was looking into it. And no, that was not the original incarnation of Mr. Freeze. He was very different in originally, and he was on the Campy's, you know, the Campy 60s Batman television show, played by three different actors, mind you, one of which was Eli Wallach, which is mm. one of the oddest visuals I can possibly conjure, <laughs> and he was just kind of a throwaway character, he was murdered rather casually by the Joker in the comics, if memory serves, and then Batman the Animated Series decides, you know, we can probably do something with this, so they create a deeper backstory, they make him a to more tortured character, and everyone loves it, and they revive Mr. Freeze in the comics with that backstory, and he goes on to become one of the most, not just because of his gimmick, but because of how he's handled, one of the better and more well-known Batman villains. I mean, uh, if you get out, he's one of those that you, the first named villains, you know, if you ask someone to name Batman villains, you get, generally speaking, you get the Joker, you get Poison Ivy, you get the Penguin, and, but Mr. Freeze is actually kind of in that echelon as far as you know, immediately thought of when you're talking Batman villain. And then, sadly, you had the way he was written in Batman and Robin and Schwarzenegger having to spell just nothing but awful, awful puns. Oh, I can't God. wait. <laughs> it was bad, folks. So... Let's let's go with Mr. Freeze. I'll keep keep uh, this with you for a minute, Sean. You know, do you? you know, wh what are your thoughts on the you know bald-headed, frozen man? To which of us are you speaking? Yeah, you, Sean. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, 
I share a lot of your opinions, actually, um, and, and I agree with you. The the fact that that Eli Wallach plays in in the campy '60s series. And remember, this is a guy who was in um, the Dollars trilogy. Yep. Yeah, he was the ugly. Yeah, this man played a deadly, deadly gunslinger. <laughs> um, and actually, we were talking before the show, and I I made the mistake of kind of transposing who played which villain, and I at first tried to tell, uh, I first tried to tell Mr. Winfrey that it was Vincent Price who played Mr. Freeze, and that, even after he corrected me, I still said, still, think about just how fucking awesome that would have been if instead of oh, yeah. head, they oh, yeah. would have, they would have let Price play Freeze. You can't tell me that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been just straight up amazeballs. Um, but, anyway, getting back to the point, uh, no, I actually, I'm not always a big fan of villains being given a sympathetic backstory because sometimes I think that if you do it with the wrong villain, that becomes forced really, really. Um, but in this case, I, I think back to playing um, Batman Arkham City and the fact that of this wide breadth of Batman villains that you encounter throughout the game, um from Joker, Penguin, and Two-Face to the Mad Hatter, Deadshot, Hush, and Mr. Zaz, Freeze is the only one with whom Batman kind of reaches an uneasy truce and they part kind of somewhat on respectful terms. Um, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about spoilers because, fuck it, game has been out for three years now. You've had time to play. Yeah. 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 In the end, Freeze actually tries to double-cross Batman after Batman has come to him seeking a cure for the disease with which Joker has infected both the Dark Knight and purportedly the rest of Gotham. And Freeze tries to double-cross him, claiming that he only cares about finding a cure for his wife, who Joker has kidnapped. And after they have one of... Actually, no, I'll go ahead and come right out and say it. After having the highlight boss battle of the entire game, Batman eventually goes off in search of the cure. And as a side mission later, Batman, you playing as Batman, obviously, go forth and find where Joker has been hiding Nora Freeze and then report back to Two-Face. And he very sincerely thanks Batman and goes off to his, and goes off to his wife. And the two just go their separate ways. I like that. I like that because if you go off of the story that Heart of Ice established in the animated series and that supposedly the upcoming Batman Arkham Origins DLC, uh, Cold Cold Heart, is going to deliver, Batman always really does sympathize with Victor. He always does feel for him and understand that, again, kind of like I mentioned with Harvey Dent, he's doing bad things for what he for what he sees as good reason. And occasionally, yes, he's he's displaying a very vicious, vindictive murderous. But ultimately he's doing it to people that he feels deserve it, or anybody that just happens to be standing in the way of him saving the life of his loved one. And I think we've all got one person like that in our life about whom we could say that. About whom we could say God help heaven, hell, or earth if any of those sides should try to harm this one individual. 
you know, because not not only not only will I not only will I take a bullet for this this man, this woman, this child that I brought into the into this earth, this dog that I rescued from a shelter, this kitten that I nursed back to health. Not only will I take a bullet, I'll dish out four of my own. So it's understandable. And it makes it a very kind of uneasy, unpredictable dynamic that it's that gives you a lot of directions you can go in as far as a story is concerned. So quite frankly, I'm glad that Paul Dini, in one of his many genius moments in revolutionizing the Batman universe and the Batman mythos with the, through the animated series and its various incarnations, took what was a throwaway character and saw the untapped potential and really gave him some, up to that point, unheard of, unimagined depth, and has made him somebody that's become kind of an indispensable mainstay of the entire gallery. Yeah, I completely agree with that assessment. So, Coop, anything you wanted to add about good old Mr. Freeze? Time for me to break the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking love. Do you know that impersonation pretty much ruined an entire viewing of Frozen with some people? Every time. Every time. I would just randomly probably just want to the dinosaur. It doesn't have to be the Batman. I hardly ever see you anymore. I love how we went to I love how we went to incredibly like serious like 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 analysis of a character with Sean fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. Oh, I love it. You know, I mentioned this to Sean off air, I think, but I don't know if you were here for it or not, but I think Arnie gets way too much crap for that role. The way it was written, nobody could have saved it. And when he's actually not having to deliver that awful dialogue, what Arnie's able to do with his eyes and his facial expressions in that movie is actually pretty compelling. It's compelling as a man who uh, makes ice puns can be. Uh, There's that caveat. Let me also say this. When I first heard... Okay, that movie came out in what, 1998? When I first heard they were doing that and Mr. Freeze was going to do it, I'm a kid, uh, middle school, junior high, not quite high school. My initial reaction was, huh, they should get Captain Picard to do it. Because, because my first thought was, you know, again, my exposure at this point is Heart of Ice and what you've seen from Batman the Animated Series. And unwittingly, I said Patrick Stewart should do it, which is actually someone they, were tro- they thought about doing until they went with Arnie and because Joel Schumacher is bizarre, but anyway, so I cut you off there, but that would be oh, actually, if you were to treat the character seriously, I think you could do a lot worse than Patrick Stewart. Oh, I'm just imagining Patrick Stewart trying to deliver what killed the oh, dinosaur. God. <laughs> Number one, what killed the dinosaur? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Uh, he deserves some, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, <laughs> That's he, something he, you're going to yeah, hear a lot. He, he deserves better. Yes. Oh, God, the cat's trying to get in the room. Anyways, Heart of Eyes was my uh, introduction to the character, and just like pretty much everybody that came into Batman after Heart of Eyes, I just always assumed he was a, you know, a a character that was, you know, had a lot of depth to him and had a lot of understandable motivation and for the most part was, you know, 
pretty interesting, uh, you know, look at a man who's just trying to save a loved one. But, yeah, apparently before that he was just guy with a cold gun. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, boy. I believe he was, like, hmm? killed by the Joker in, like, a throwaway scene in the comics. Well, I mean, hey, that was, like, pretty much him. That was Crisis on Infinite Infinite Earths right there. I'm kidding. Crisis on Infinite Earths <laughs> at all. But still, I had to throw that in there. But, yeah, I mean, he was nothing special. But, you know, Paul Dini, that dude is, is the boss. The fuck was it? God damn it, cat. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, like, that dude, he should write, like, at least a Batman story a year. Just, just let him do something. As long as you make it in continuity, it's, it's going to be good. I can probably guarantee it. Like, sure, there are a few turds in the Batman the Animated Series, like Critters. Oh, I think it was Critters. The one where they were on the, fa- they were on the farm. That was bad. Uh, Batman in the Daylight. That um, was bad. I'm the only one that remembers it. But yeah, like, th- Mr. Freeze, he was, he's awesome. And Arkham City, he was great. Like, oh, uh, that, that, wasn't that uh, Stealth Boss Battle? Sort of, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. You that couldn't was... attack him directly. You had to get him from behind when he wasn't looking. And any, however you managed to land a hit on him, be it uh, you hit him with a smoke grenade or you came up from under the grating or you dove on him from a floor up, however you did it, you couldn't do it again. He blocked the, he blocked that line of attacks you had to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was such a that – was, that was one of my favorite battles because it was just so, so well done. It was really different. I mean, that game was – that game was something else, like – Every time I go to my buddy's house, I just sit down for like at least a good 20 minutes just playing combat. Nothing mm-hmm. makes my day happier than punching the shit out of thugs as Batman. <laughs> and it's I'm, a feeling. Oh, it's so good, especially like after you've played like a stupid amount. You're just like, yeah, I, I can just do it you know, without even thinking. Yeah, it's uh, like Mr. Freeze it is, it is kind of a, it's like a good character. It's and I mean, that's the hell we're going to be here all day if we keep going in this in-depth. We've got to have, like, 20 characters left, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a few. The, the, thing is, though, the real joy of that game is once you finish the main game once, then you can go back and, st- and have the absolutely surreal experience of roaming around Arkham City in the various alternate skins that you can download. <laughs> Ooh, see, I didn't do that. I want I, I wanted oh, yeah, to get the Batman be... Beyond skins so bad. No, no, you can do, like, Adam West Batman. Um, yeah, well, correction. In Arkham Origins, you can. In Arkham City, you can be Earth-1 Batman, um, Batman Inc. Batman, uh, Long Halloween, Batman Beyond, Animated Series. Um, you can be 1970s Batman. Um, That's so good. Oh, oh, just absolutely, just absolutely tons of them. And it's so much fun. Um, to go around this um, this so beautifully detailed and rendered environment that's so grimy and gritty, and doing it and doing it in the animated series costume. Voice. So. Oh, so good. So speaking of uh, Batman Beyond, y'all remember uh, how Mister Freeze was portrayed in that, or when he, he was a fucking like? I he did a head. Yeah. That was, uh, no, wait, that was no, 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 he wasn't. He was not a head. Uh, he was a head I on, uh, I thought he was a robot spider head. Um, that he wasn't was. Batman Beyond. Hang on, I will find the correct version. Yeah, that was a Batman, but in Batman Beyond, no, he had been, I believe, cryogenically frozen. Like Walt Disney. <laughs> yeah, we we'll go with that. And now, and now, God help me, I cannot get Arnie singing, Do You Want to Build a Snow? <laughs> do, do you want to kill the Batman? 
It doesn't have to be the Batman. I walked I walked around just singing that for like three hours after I saw that. I'm pretty sure I was annoying to everybody in my house. Well, it's a uh, It's the new adventures of Batman, wherein he's he's the head on a robot body. That's okay. What, that's what it was. I knew it was after the. Uh, re- I knew it was after the. Well, he actually got a pretty good redesign. Some of the redesigns, of the, but his was his was actually really well done. I'll get when we get when we get to Scarecrow. I'll talk about that redesign. Oh. Well, let's talk about Scarecrow, then, if we're all done talking about Freeze. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, going to start? You want me to start? Yeah, go ahead, Coop. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Scarecrow, uh, I don't have, like, a huge, like, like experience reading any comics with Scarecrow. Like, I always tend to come across him in uh, a lot of games and a lot of the movies and stuff, because uh, when he's usually involved, it's it becomes very... Uh, it usually becomes either a dreamscape or a nightmare. And I must say, he's probably one of the best design characters in terms of, like, the designs they keep making with him. Like, the one that had an Arkham, the Arkham games was terrifying. Like, it made me want to crap my pants a few times. That was that was really scary with the needle, little needle fingers with the serum in them and the hood and the, the gas mask. Ugh. Oh. That's terrifying. And then you get to the uh, the new Batman Adventures. That one was so, so good looking. Wasn't he like a, like a mix of like a southern preacher and a hangman or something? I will find yeah, out. He had, yeah, he had a noose hanging, and he was wearing a uh, long overcoat and a black hat. Like it, was, oh, it was something. It was he really was, good. Was, yeah, he was a, yeah. Like, he was a lot like the way that Jim Lee drew him, except... Jim, again, in his preference for comically exaggerated features, um, made that hat look like something Bootsy Collins or Dennis Rodman would wear. Oh, God. Uh, see, I've, I've not had as much experience with Jim Lee's art, though I do love Hush. That was such a good story. But, uh, oh, yeah, like he's, he's one of those uh, characters that's like, I'm pretty sure he was, wasn't he picked on as a child and then he became like some... Like, uh, they became obsessed with phobias and stuff and became a uh, really, really, uh, like, uh, what's the word, recognized scientist on phobias until he decided to use his powers for evil or some bullshit like that. Hey, guys, guys, you know what? I have I have been a bad Batmanologist. I have been talking about the wrong artist this entire time. Um, uh, no, okay. actually... Actually, never hear me have a bad thing to say about Jim Lee either, because Jim Lee's pencils on Hush are fucking aces. It is one of the best-looking comics I have ever read. Uh, no, Wait, actually, Tim Sale. Yes, uh, actually, I just because I, at the back of my mind, I felt something nagging at me, going, talking about the wrong guy, talking about the wrong guy, talking about yeah. the wrong guy. And I got up and went over to my bookshelf and pulled out the long Halloween. And yes, sure enough, actually, the fellow that I've been talking about um, who does the distracting, enormous Joker teeth and the hilariously massive uh, Scarecrow hat, uh, yeah, that is, in fact, that is not Jim. That is not Jim. That's not to say that I don't like Tim Sale's artwork. I absolutely, I absolutely love it. It's just that of all the characters, well, of all the characters that he draws, the 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 ones that distract me the most, I guess it's kind of the equivalent to when Chris Rock would talk about how would talk about Al Sharpton's hair, <laughs> and he would always say, Al, Al Sharpton can tell you that he has a cure for cancer. 
You just look at him and say, look at that hair. <laughs> he said he looked like Bookman from Good Time. Uh, it, what, what, whatever Tim Sale draws, he, he has such, such distinctive line work, and he works so magnificently in like a Frank Miller-type fashion with, uh, with shadow and lighting. But anything else he draws, if he's drawing fucking Joker's or Poison Ivy's re-goddamn-diculous-looking hair, I just, I, I can't take my eyes off of it, and, and it takes away from, from everything else. Batman could be quoting Macbeth. Um, the Riddler could be making an iota of sense for a change. It wouldn't matter, because I would just, I would be zeroed in on that. It's, it's such an exercise in attention, so... But, yeah, like, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, Scarecrow. Scarecrow, like, he's... I remember in the animated series, like, one of the best episodes that he was in was the one where, uh, uh, Bruce, like, we, we just... The episode started and Bruce was Bruce. You know, he wasn't Batman. There was... Batman was somebody else. And as we come to the end, as the episode goes by, he starts, like, trying to figure out, like, oh, he's trying to figure out who is Batman then if I'm not Batman. And was that Mad Hatter? Uh, I think that was Hatter. Oh, Mad Hatter. That was Hatter, okay. I forget which one was uh, Scarecrow, but yeah. Scarecrow, well, the one, that, some... the one that sticks out to, for my mind is Scarecrow is the one where he winds up dosing Batman, and Batman is constantly hallucinating his father, telling him what a failure he is. Yep. Yeah, like it, it was, it's always something like that, or like that one time where you got the nightmare fuel with the skele- the giant skeletons, and oof, damn Batman. Yeah, Scarecrow is really interesting, and especially when you if you play the Arkham games, he, he's always uh, kind of fun to. His levels are, uh, again, they're different. They're a lot more platforming, especially in the. I'm pretty sure it was the first game. Yeah. Oh, good old, good old Scarecrow. But yeah, that's pretty well, much all I have to talk about. Killer Croc was pretty gratifying. <laughs> oh, Killer Croc, crazy poor man. I almost hit him with a rock. <laughs> I love that. It was I almost hit with a rock, and everybody, everybody just turns and looks at him, and he's like, the big one. <laughs> <laughs> almost got it. That was, like, one of the best. Oh, that was great. That was a great episode. All right, so keep one real It's even better when you realize it was Batman the entire time. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Croc's not that hard to impersonate. He's kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, to to prepare himself for it, Bruce locked himself in the bat cave for about 24 hours of BET and MT. <laughs> oh, God. He watched the marathon of the Real Housewives. And about, and about, and to top, and to top it all off, just to push him that much further over the edge, he actually watched 15 minutes of CMT. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, now that you've sufficiently horrified my the upper levels of my brain, and I wish to put out my mind's eye. Uh, sticking with Scarecrow, with you for this, for this Sean, uh, I'm kind of curious about this one, because uh, Killian Murphy, in all three, actually, movies of the Dark Knight trilogy from Nolan, makes appearances as the Scarecrow. Was that was that good casting for you? Did you, li- did you uh, think he was the right guy for that? Did you wish they would have gone in a different direction, maybe? That was fucking superb casting. Um, the one thing that anybody who has ever seen any movie in the Dark Knight trilogy has absolutely got to come away thinking is that 
nobody could have played any of those characters any better than the people they actually cast. Um, before anybody says a fucking syllable, I would have rather Rachel Dawes just not existed at all. Uh, yeah, fair point. We, we don't talk about her. I mean, did she even exist before? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we don't talk about Rachel for a reason because she was played by two horribly overrated actresses back to back. Where is she? Jack Bauer is the Batman. <laughs> oh, now we saw it snake. But yeah, or actually, or yeah, or David Hayter. That's a good one too. Um, but no, I actually thought that um, that Cillian Murphy being cast as as Jonathan Crane was absolutely letter perfect, and Cillian did it the way he does every sociopathic role he plays um, with creepy but absolutely unassuming calm. Um, there's he is the reason Red Eye is so damn watchable. Uh, and my and my hats off to him that I think he's actually terribly underrated in those kinds of roles. But what I've always liked about the Scarecrow as a villain is the fact that number one, he's one who can actually kind of match Batman intellect for intellect. But just as importantly, he's able to get to Batman in the one way in which it's terrifyingly easily for any criminal, any terrorist, any enemy of the state to get any copy. And that's through chemical warfare. Because not only are there so many ways to help a chemical agent work its way into the body system, but every but it's literally one of those build a better mousetrap scenarios. Uh, it's like if somebody happens to pro, happens to devise and construct a computer system, a software network they claim is absolutely unhackable. The moment you do that, the moment someone is going to devote exactly how much time it's going to take to say, there's no such thing as unhackable and I can prove it, they'll just come up with a more resistant strain a more foolproof delivery method and make you work to outdo it because they know that because they know every time every time the volley goes back and forth they know that they can turn any volley you send their way they're not going to quit they're always going to develop something that can work around your security measure and he always finds a way to infect someone with that fear toxin and for his for as incredible a tactician as Batman is, and for all of his abilities to to think like his enemies, he still manages to repeatedly stumble into the fear toxin. Some way, somewhere, at some point, Scarecrow is able to find that instant in which he's not suspecting it, and there it is. Just enough to set him off his game. So, in a sense, he's really kind of underrated in terms of Batman's inability to really ever be fully rid of him. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, well, in the Arkham Asylum game, it turns out he was coming up behind you and stabbing you in the neck with his syringes full of fear toxin. Yeah. Which I mean, as long as somebody gets the... When I was playing that game, and you know, you know something's up with, with uh, you know, Scarecrow and those weird levels, and then you get this brief flash away and you see... Like, Scarecrow, you, you get back to the real world, and you see Scarecrow has jammed all of these 
syringes into Batman's side and is pumping him full of this stuff. And it's, it's, and it's a really kind of odd, like, flash, see it, flash, go back to the next scene, and it just kind of le- leaves you a little unsettled. It's, he's like a goddamn Silent Hill monster is what he is. Oh, Pyramid Head. It's <laughs> raven time. Uh, yeah, I mean, as long as the fear toxin, like, you know, like, Jonathan Crane, I, I see him almost as like Batman. You know, as, as long as somebody gets a hold of the mantle, gets a hold of, you know, what makes him him, like, you know. Well, I guess what makes Batman Batman is childhood trauma. Is you know, as long as somebody gets a hold of that like toxin, like I don't, I see Scarecrow being one of those characters that like never will leave. Yeah. yeah. Do what you yeah. Get, Batman, all right, all right, down the hall. I think some company is overdue. I've started talking to the pictures on the wall. Okay, <laughs> enough of that. We're going to freeze the city with poison ivy and then get the diamonds now. Stop. Stop. Do you want to kill the Batman? He doesn't have to be the Batman. God, we're going to turn that into some... That is somehow going to spread and infect the rest of the world. Oh, I, uh, somebody's already done done one, but yeah. I think you do better. <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, since we keep kind of bringing that up, let's move on to Poison Ivy then, because she was also in Batman and Robin. Oh, so, nom nom scenery. Everyone was chewing scenery in that film. Uh, it's not true. Poor Casadano. Uh, that poor guy. Uh, but so anyway, so uh, Sean, let's go with you for you know for Poison Ivy. I mean, that was another character who was kind of resuscitated by Batman the Animated Series. Oh, God, was she? She was pretty much a nothing of a Silver Age villain, really. And then Paul Dean just kind of got this wild hair up his butt at some point that he was getting tired of fussing around with Penguin and Two-Face and Joker and Catwoman and all the all the names among names and decided that he really wanted to challenge himself by seeing what he could do with kind of the JV squad. And I it, I don't know, it, it's hard for me to really say what it was about her that really caught on so well. I think part of it was the fact that the animated series as a whole was able to be as, at the same time, both bleak and shadowy as the comics had become by that point. But also, they were still within the lines enough that they were able to be kid-friendly and that they weren't going to frighten off younger audiences, or more importantly, they weren't going to frighten off parents from letting their kids watch it. And Poison Ivy was another example, because in that case, you've got a villainess who was just vivacious enough, just enough of a vixen to really carry off that character. And by the way, might I say... You never really see the Jim Lee version of her quite the same way until you have fallen in love with and dated a curvaceous, painfully sexy redhead yourself. It, yeah. it, there, that, that, that's all there is to it. Full stop. Right there. Um, but managed to also keep her very, very compelling and interesting and gripping to watch and listen to and just just that that potent enough fascinating combination of 
delightfully psychotic sociopath who actually genuinely really believes in in her own life, in what she's doing. But so one who's very easy on the eyes too, <laughs> kind of like a lot of animated characters, almost almost disturbingly so. Um, and that really kind of translated over into the comic books where she was treated fairly simply and got a, and got a bit of a renaissance there. Of her. All right, well, Coop, I want to kind of go over to you since you and n- there will be no more. Do you want to build a snowman, please? Because Jason Teasley is listening, and he was annoyed that he was not invited if we're going to be doing Do You Want to Build a Snowman parodies. Well, we didn't plan it. It just... <laughs> snowman just sort of happens. It didn't have to be the Batman. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I want to just kind of... You know, her... She's been played a bunch of different ways as far as the, like her character backstory and whatnot, and some of them are kind of out there, and that includes the version from Batman and Robin where she's played by Uma Thurman, and Coop, I want to kind of go with you for this one. Hey, again, that movie is just so bad. It, I mean, it should be studied. It really, really should. <laughs> studied shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, some things are so bad you should study them so you know not to repeat those mistakes. But, you know, so I'm just kind of curious, how was that... You know, did you enjoy that version of, you know, now she's... Because in some versions, she can talk to plants and communicate with them, and there's all kinds of different backstories and little minutiae of the character that you can kind of play with. Yeah, what's your favorite version of, you know, her being, you know, with, you know, somehow empathically connected with all the vegetation on the planet, or, you know, which version of her do you enjoy, the, do you think is probably your favorite? Hmm. There's a lot of good ones. I, I think it just kind of... I don't really look at them, I guess, as versions of just how crazy and how plant-obsessed she is. Because some of them, some versions, she's like kind of a criminal who's got just plant-talking powers. And there's other ones where she considers them as her babies and she turns into a crazy fucking eco-terrorist, which is always fun. I think that's usually my favorite because eco-terrorism, we don't have enough of that in our comic book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think she, that's my favorite version of her. Like, I didn't actually know. I've, I've never read anything Silver Age from her. Hell, I didn't know what she did before. You know, the animated series. Because really, that's. I, I, it's kind of like Mister Freeze, except Mister Freeze, I only knew he was a guy with just, just a guy with a cold gun. Because I saw a Batman documentary once and told me that, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, not, like Poison Ivy, she's she's always she's really an interesting character and. Well, I've never dated a curvaceous redhead. I'll put that on my bucket list someday. Oh, oh, and Teasley, shoo. <laughs> I'm so glad right. we don't take call in. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, like I said, there's a bunch of different ways you can kind of mess with her because, I mean, in uh, what was it? In Arkham Asylum, she gets all, you encounter her a couple of times, and she like becomes one with this giant plant for one of the boss battles. Yeah. Mm. It's just really kind of weird, but you know, not a, not a. I think she's got like she's character. got like three knobs. Like you got like the crazy knob, the sexy knob, and the plant knob. You just kind of gotta see how far you're gonna turn one of them. You know, I feel like that's almost how she is. She's got a few knobs and uh, like different iterations, just kind of twist the knob one way or the other. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, let's okay. Let's round out. Batman and Robin, so we never have to discuss it again. 
Uh, but the other guy they had there, they had the worst version of Bane conceivable. <laughs> I mean, just that is, absolutely that is what awful. he boiled down to. Grunt, 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 groan. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was awful. It was an absolute an, an absolute abomination from a character that's supposed to be awesome. I mean, what was it? I think it was Mark who said it. If you listen to the Long Road to Ruin, and they had Samer on, and they talked about uh, the both the Tim Burton and the Joel Schumacher Batman series. And when Mark gets back from the hiatus, they're going to be tackling the Dark Knight. But I think it was Mark who said that of all the things that. Batman and Robin screws up of all the you know egregious errors it commits. There's nothing worse than taking one of the most interesting and cerebral and threatening villains in Batman's rogues gallery and turning him into that. You know what? Turning him into you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to call him Bane. Fair enough. I, I don't disagree with call, you. Not, henceforth, his name shall be Roydio Grunt Grunt. Oh. You mean Dave Batista? If you wish, if you wish to all, if you wish to go all John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt and make Roydy's name Dave's name too, then yes, you are more than welcome to. But as far as I'm concerned, henceforth, that grotesque luchador-looking thing in Batman and Robin shall no longer be called by that name. He is Roydy. He is Roydy O'Grunt. All right. And whenever we go up, people will always shout, Roydy McGrunt, grunt, 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 There we go. All right, but yeah, that, that was probably my favorite thing about The Dark Knight Rises is that they got Tom Hardy, who's a fantastic actor, and he's a bit of an ectomorph. If you've ever seen, he's able to change his body type almost at will to kind of fit whatever he's doing. And he was able, and, okay, issues with the voice and whatnot aside... We actually finally got. We actually finally got a version of Bane that was true to the character. And don't anybody out there, don't give me that. Well, he wasn't on Venom. He didn't come from Central America. Don't give me the, the little. De- no, I don't care about the details. And guess what? Roydy McGrunt Grunt had Venom. He had the proper mask, and I believe they turned him into that version somewhere down in Central America, where all that crazy research was going on and whatnot. So don't give me that. The character is more than the details that go into its backstory and whatnot, and Tom Hardy was able to actually be Bane, as opposed to Roydy Roydy, whatever the fuck we want to call him, Grunty over there. Hey, if we're, uh, hey, go ahead, Sean. Hey, you know what? If we're going to take liberties with this character's backstory, I'm going to give him a goddamn Irish last name. <laughs> Fair enough. Because if you were Brazilian, you'd be Roy D. Grunt Grunt Silver or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or or Roy D. Dost. Roy D. Dost. Oh, yes. Or Roy D. Paul Harris. Or Roy D. Or Roy D. Asuntal? Yeah. And a lot of those, too. Or, you know, if he were Belgian, we would just call him Alistair Overeem in a luchador mask. <laughs> I don't know. True. I think Roydy McGrunt got a lot more done. <laughs> <laughs> he justified his paycheck, at least. <laughs> he didn't gas out after ten minutes. <laughs> All right, but okay, just kind of getting into Tom Hardy's version since we're ignoring Roydy McGrunt Grunt over there. <laughs> but I mean, oh, I had this weird. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna 
I might have to mute Your myself. Your dog does like shut this. up. Why are you born this way? <laughs> it was horse meat. <laughs> Why do you eat bad horse meat? Why do you apologize to NSAC? Why do you never do again? <laughs> Rudy buy meat from Tesco. <laughs> all right, all right. Back on track. I want to because and here's why I, I kind of want to talk about Tom Hardy's version. That was the first time. I mean, I was not ex- exposed to you know the comics and how and you know just all of the kind of the details and just how awesome a character that was. I mean, I knew it was not at all what was presented by Joel Schumacher, but Tom Hardy took this character and legitimately kind of made him scary, which is an odd thing to do, especially since he was given the the way that mask worked. He was just able to kind of emote with his eyes, and he turned him into something scary. I mean, just the, his fight with Batman in you know, the first fight, where they reference Nightfall and he breaks Batman's back. One of the most I, I mean, watching it in theaters, I almost got scared just because he doesn't stop. You know, Batman's throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him, and he just keeps coming. And there's some, there was a moment in that fight watching it. I'm just like, oh my, he's, I knew what was, I mean, I already knew kind of what was going to happen because, hey, we're only halfway through the movie and there has to be the redemption story and whatnot. But just, the, you get the sense that, no, he's not going to stop. He's going to keep fighting, and he's going to kill you. And there's just something absolutely terrifying about that kind of relentless determination. I mean, am I off, Sean? You know, was that the sense you got? Am I alone here? Am I one man under myself? No. No, you're not off at all. And in fact, that's what made it so enjoyable, was the fact that, look, anybody out there who remembers or has even heard anything significant explaining the plot of... Uh, the Batman Nightfall story arc understands that it's not like Bane one day just decided, you know what, I have come here to break a DC superhero's back and chew bubblegum, and I don't have any room on this costume for pockets to change to buy the bubblegum, so I'm just going to go break the back. <laughs> and no, it was actually much more tactical than that. What he did, being the master strategician, strategician, strategist, strategist. Thank you. The, the the master strategist that he is, he engineered a full-on prison riot and breakout in which Batman then had to spend months working and battling himself, quite literally to the to the point of exhaustion, past the point of exhaustion, just to round up every criminal that had been sprung free into Gotham City. And then at that point, when Batman was worn down, vulnerable, arguably at his weakest, that was when Bane struck. That was when he tracked down Batman and and broke his back with the backbreaker that now has to be imitated every time he appears in anything. Well, that was one of the things that I loved about the character was he figured out who that Bruce Wayne was Batman. Yes. He, yeah. he deduced it. Nobody, you know, nobody handed that information to him. He watched Batman, and he figured it out. And very few people come to that conclusion on their own. You know, almost uh, nobody yeah. is able to deduce it. Uh, yeah, the, the short list is Bane figured it out. Riddler figured well, it out. No, Riddler um, figured it out because he was in the Lazarus pool that Ra's al Ghul used, and Ra's al Ghul knew who uh, Batman was. Okay, yeah, point on that one. Um, uh, no, Strange. Strange, strange yeah, was the other one who did it. 
figured it out. Um, but also, the other thing was, this wasn't just really some random thing with Bane. Bane was tormented by dreams of a giant bat and came to study Batman and view him as the, as, as the ruler of his realm, of, as the ruler of his, of his own kingdom. And believed that he would know that the only way he would that he would no longer be tormented by these nightmares and this obsession would be if he tracked Batman down and defeated him. Uh, it became it became a vendetta to him. It became immensely immensely personal. And that doesn't come across in heart anything else that ever features him. Actually, oddly enough. Uh, if I had an adaptation that really nailed down Bane a close second to how well The Dark Knight Rises did, it would actually uh, Arkham Origins. Arkham Origins absolutely nailed it. Uh, they, they got the character totally, completely, 100% perfect. Uh, you, you couldn't really ask for it to be done much better than that. Uh, right down to him bringing in this troop of Santa Priscan mercenaries and his right-hand man, Bird. Now, that, that is some loyalty to the comic that is surprising, really, considering some of the other flaws in the game. But it, it's, both these things are examples that really, this is a character that could be so much more if the people who are trying to adapt his stories would just fucking pay attention to the way he was written in the first place. It's right there. Just do it that way. We're not going to be mad. We're not going to accuse you of plagiarism or anything. We're not going to accuse you of being unoriginal. Just depict the character somewhat close to the way he was supposed to be depicted. That's all we're asking. Just go. Go for it. Do it. No more Roydy McGrunt grunts. Yeah, that was... Well, the other thing with that is... That's actually one of the times that I think the animated series kind of fell short was when... I think it was when they brought in Bane for an episode. And it was just one episode, and he wasn't... Uh, I I mean, they did a lot right, as far as, you know, the character's design, but he was a mercenary who... Uh, what was it, Thorpe or Thorn? I think it was Rupert Thorn was the, you know, the gangster that Batman could never quite take down. But And he hires him to come in and take out Batman, and it's just... It almost felt like that was one of those issues where they felt they had to put Bane in the series, so we got Bane, but it didn't quite you know, live up to what the character is supposed to be, in my estimation. I mean, Coop, you're, you know, you're a big fan of the series. Was that was his appearance there kind of a letdown for you, or were you just, you know, was, was this kind of a non-issue for you? I don't really remember it that well, which I guess really means that it was kind of a disappointing non-factor. I, I remember he showed up, but I don't remember anything really significant about his episode. It was just kind of like, oh, he's saying, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, well, didn't do much this time. Oh, well. Yeah, he was nothing really substantial. He was just, he was just there, which is a disappointment yeah. because, you know, going to where Sean was talking about, like Nightfall and Vengeance of Bane, those were so good. And they, you know, it was just right there for the picking, and I, maybe they can't break Batman's back on television. I don't know. I would assume there's something like that in there, but... Can't break his back. We already blinded him once. <laughs> we already uncovered his psychological torture. Jesus. You know what? If we're, you know what? If we're going to make fun of Cripple, let's not go let, let, let's just right. have that. Let's just have Batman beat all the disabilities. All of them. 
It's true. Uh, he's he's mute. He is the bat mute. Next, oh, that would be one, yes. next, week, bat, next week on Batman the Animated Series, how will Batman escape when the Mad Hatter hypnotizes him to believe that a cable guy? <laughs> because, again, as long as we're going with disabilities, we might as well throw in severe undiagnosed brain injury. Cable <laughs> <Dear> guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> that's gonna be in my. That's gonna be somewhere in the recesses of my mind for the longest time now. Thanks for that, Coop. <laughs> you're just gonna be walking around us. You're like, you just hear. <laughs> someone uh, has to. Someone has to go up to Christian Bale on the street now and get him to do that. If anybody has the balls to go up to that guy, get him to do the bat voice and say, "Get her done," just because it has to be out there now. From. From now on, anymore, the, the meme is not going, shall not be, my parents are dead. From now on, it's going to be, my house was built under power lines. My house was built under power lines. Oh, man. All right. Maybe the penguins and you're kidding. All right, all right. Let's we'll, we'll get this back uh, on track before we go way before we go any further down that particular <laughs> rabbit hole. I, mean, I could do maybe we want to take a look at. Man, I'll the other major one that we haven't hit yet that I think that we absolutely need to. I think is Riddler, and we so Edward Nigma, you know the yeah, other guy. Nigma. Who, yeah, yeah, I know. His name is everyone point and laugh. <laughs> now, Nelson, I saw something funny. Uh, <laughs> I love Nelson. All right, but Riddler's another one of those characters who just sadly was portrayed in other media forms in a way that just kind of undermined any of his ability to be threatening because you had Frank Gorshin from the you know, the 60s television series, and then you had Jim Carrey doing kind of a send-up of that version in Batman Forever. <laughs> and, and he's... I love Jim Carrey. And his funny-shaped head. Yes. But, I mean, th- that's a character that just has never quite been done justice as far as broader... as far as, you know, massive, you know, mass media, that type of thing, then... You know, I mean, in the comics, he's portrayed very... in a lot of respects, very differently than he is shown... In you know film or television or most, I mean, we you know, with the Arkham origin, with the Arkham City and Arkham Asylum, actually, we get a decent version of the Riddler. But a lo- to a lot of people, he's you never were able to find out anything deeper than Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey as the Riddler. It's it's kind of a sad thing, Coop. I mean, right, Coop? I mean, I uh, what are your yeah. impressions of the character, Coop? Uh, well, I mean, I. First, I want to go back to Bane, because I actually didn't say... The only thing I didn't like about Tom Hardy's Bane was that he wasn't the mastermind at the end of it. Yeah. The only complaint I had. I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Bane wouldn't fly as many bodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the only thing. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, the, the Riddler, he's always an interesting character. Like, his, his portrayals go from Jim Carrey as the Riddler playing Jim Carrey as the Riddler to, uh, you know, like, almost like a chess master in some aspects. 
Otherwise, he's just some dude obsessed with riddles. You know, he's there's a lot of really interesting takes just on on the character itself. And I mean, I guess he's just one of those characters that is the the interpretations are very. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess they're endless in some aspects because you know he's he's obsessed with riddles and he wants to be better than Batman and he's really good at puzzles and you know just kind of kind of like Poison Ivy with the knobs. We just kind of sometimes we'll tone down some things, bring out some others. Yeah, I always, always did like a good old, good old Enigma there. He was, a, he was just always a cool character. It's nice to see a character that is as good as a uh, puzzle solver, you know, kind of a detective, almost as smart as Batman, because I feel like that's always something that we find in Batman's rogues, is that a lot of times oh, one of them is just as strong in one of Batman's, like, areas. Like, you know, you got one that's a detective, you've got a... You know, Scarecrow, he's just as good at causing fear. Joker, well, Joker's an antithesis, fucking unpredictable nuts. But, you know, you got Killer Croc is just as strong. You've got other characters that have been brought in, like, you know, Deathstroke. You know, there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of really interesting villains. Hell, maybe I should say this to the end, but, <laughs> you know, like, they all bring something that, you know, is a piece of Batman, which really, I guess that's maybe is what makes it uh, one of the best rogue galleries, because they all, they all seem to be a little fucked in the head of you. <laughs> yeah. Just a little. Yeah, just a little. Well, that's actually an... In- I can't... I think there's an there's one edition of the comics, and I couldn't tell you where or when. I've just I believe I've heard the quote that Riddler actually at one point voluntarily checks himself into Arkham Asylum after or Batman has caught it, or he turns himself into Batman and his, the reason he does this is he goes to Batman and he says, you know, Batman, I just wanted to rob a bank. I wasn't going to leave riddles. There weren't going to be any clues. There weren't. I wasn't playing a deep psychological... You know, there was nothing here. I just wanted to rob a bank and get some money. And I still wound up leaving you riddles and clues to follow and catch me. I think I might actually need help. Oh, oh that's funny. Yeah, I thought he was just fucking with Batman there because he, you know, the fact that he wasn't leaving riddles and clues is a giant riddle and clue right there. So that was the whole point. But Yeah. The man can't yeah. help but not leave a clue. And I think he always wants to prove he's smarter than Batman, which is well, funny. I mean, I well, isn't that his motivation in the uh, the first two Arkham games, Sean? I mean, he, your interactions with Riddler tend to be... They're non-linear. You just are either... You're solving his clues, he's, and you're, you know, you're trying to locate him and beat him, but he's all of his all of your interactions with him, he's just trying to prove that he's smarter than you. That's his end game, is it? I mean... Is it well, not? it depends on what order you play them in. Um, if you go back to Arkham Origins, his goal was actually that he was a... At that time, I figured whether he was a current or former member of the GCPD cybercrimes who believed that he had to cross some lines to truly clean up Gotham City's corruption, and they were lines which he believed Batman was not really willing. So that's where you get the whole extortion storyline. And along the way, he encounters Batman for the very first time before he's... before, you know, he even becomes... um, before he's even known as Edward Nigma. At that time, he's still... um, I believe it's Edward Nashton. And Batman kind of gives him the nickname Enigma. And as their little battle of wits plays out, that's really becomes personal to him in terms of being a war of intellect. And then in Arkham Asylum, yeah, you have Batman being forced to just be
because reasons track down and, uh, and solve all the riddles. And, of course, Batman does so, and eventually, from Arkham Island, he's able to lead the police straight to the Riddler, because Batman. Um, and <laughs> well, then it's it which become really personal, because that's when he starts taking hostages and demanding that Batman solve the riddles, or he's going uh, because, I don't know, murder in time. And... God, I have no idea where in the world Arkham Knight is going, but have you seen the screenshots of his costume yet? Yeah. Uh, from the new one, no. I haven't. Oh, God, I haven't. Ha- hang on a sec. I happen to have Google Images open right now. Um, I, I need to file sh- you. Uh, you need to see this. and, and face uh, I'll, I'll Google it. Yeah. Make your I, point. I'll look it up. Just, just Google the costume Arkham Knight. Really, along the way, what's kind of made him more interesting is that of Jim Carrey and Frank Gorshin being kind of the most identifiable fiddlers, Wally Wingert has kind of brought this this whole new grounded, dramatic megalomania to the character. Uh, he's he's still an he's still an egomaniac, but he does have uh, ass on giggle that Frank that Frank made me. He's actually, I think, the closest he's ever been in any other medium to way he appears in comics. And Wally shines in that role, and it's why it's why when I look at that goddamn fucking question mark pajamas costume that he's apparently going to be wearing in the next game, it just makes me want to weep. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with the with the Arkham City costume? I like his Arkham like City it. costume. You said you liked it or didn't like it? His, oh, the Arkham City one. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that he had this awesome. weird. You know, I mean, he had the bowler hat, but he had the rolled up sleeve. He just had this really kind of this really interesting look to him. Yeah. He he wasn't wearing a fucking question mark onesie. Goddamn magenta domino mask. Um, looking for all the looking for all the world like a quite possibly gay, insane John Lydon. He just he actually still. I mean, he was a little over the top in being identifying, maybe, but he still looked at least somewhat like a normal guy. This fucker looks like he's about ready to binge watch Orange Is the New Black over a pint of chunky monkey. <laughs> He looks, he looks like he looks like Friday night nothing to do Riddler. <laughs> oh god! Uh, looks, I guess the next riddle is why the fuck did they dress him like that? It, 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 looks, it looks like if Bat, if he were to try to start a fight with Batman, Batman would just look at would just look at him and go, "Why would you think that, you slow, slow white boy?" <laughs> Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah, that's so, so is it was anybody wishing that we would have got Johnny Depp as the Riddler? Oh, oh no. God. No. Oh god. Don't make I will play John, you. He could play don't. he could play Captain Jack just like he's been doing for the past two goddamn. Don't, don't get me started. No, you know what? Quite quite frankly, here you go. Um you want to give Johnny Depp something to do in a Batman movie? Here you go. If they ever decide to adapt Arkham Asylum into a movie, Johnny Depp can play Zaz. No, I he's can do it. That. He's on, he's Mostly because you don't have to see him. 
He's on screen approximately for about two minutes before he either gets his head impacted into the floor or Batman smacks him with a batarang until he can't remember math. As long as Tim Burton is nowhere near this project. As long as Tim Burton is nowhere near it, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, because, because basically that works because in the Asylum games, um, Zaz is about the equivalent of Sean Stasiak. <laughs> You're be- Dude, don't bury Sean Stasiak like that. No, no. He, he, he's, he's there to stand there ineffectually, talk shit, get punched, fall down. That's about he's, it. He's, he's Slater. Uh, you know what? Okay. I should go with Stasiak because I still remember that glorious moment where he decided that he was going to be the man to take down Stone Cold. <laughs> Honestly, I have one memory of Sean Stasiak that I, from viewing it on television. It involved him doing the whole planet. I'm gonna, this is going to be Planet Stasiak. It's going to be awesome. He gets this video. Pre-match promo hype. He comes down. Regal punches him in the face and pins him. See, the, the one I'm talking about is actually, is actually somewhat similar to that. It's, he comes charging into the into the office. Actually, I think even delivering a ridiculous sounding war yell along the way, um, trying to interrupt, trying to jump Austin while he's having a conversation with Regal, and somehow manages to run. I believe either right behind them or right between them, and squarely into Regal's suit of Arthurian armor, <laughs> and just falls down. They both look at him for about half a beat and then just go right back to what they were talking. About. Oh. Uh. Okay. Well, just briefly speaking about the Riddler, uh, there was some, following the success of The Dark Knight, I, now again, this may or may not be, you know, degrees of truth and whatnot, I seem to recall reading somewhere that at the premiere of The Dark Knight, when everyone kind of figured it was going to be a success, Warner Brothers executives approached Chris Nolan and said, so for the next movie, we're going to do the Riddler, and you're going to cast Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, oh Leo? God, oh, no! Always hurt, always hurt Johnny Depp. Again, this is one of those things that's probably that probably changed more than once, you know, along the way. But I heard like their initial inclination was it's going to be Leonardo DiCaprio who's going to play the Riddler. Now, huh. granted, Christopher Nolan's movie went on to make gobs of money, become probably the best superhero movie ever, the best comic book movie, superhero movie ever. At which point he told them to go fornicate with themselves and decided to do what he, what he wanted to do with his vision of this franchise. Well, at least we know Leo wouldn't win an Oscar for that role. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you don't, the other one... You don't, you don't tell Christopher Nolan what to do. Christopher Nolan tells you what he is going to do in no uncertain yeah. terms to your mother. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey I, I don't disagree, but the other one that kind of got bandied about the Internet when there was talk of bringing in the Riddler, apparently Robin Williams said he'd be interested in playing the Riddler. Oh, that would be wonderful. I, I could live with that as as time has marched indelibly onward. Robin has calmed himself, what we like to call the fuck down. Um, so we would be guaranteed not to get at least another aping Frank Gorshin. Uh, let's also be clear, Frank Gorshin's Riddler was very fun and awesome for the Campy's television show. Well, yeah. Of that sort go, of thing. Yeah, if they're going to go all Silver Age and mustache twirly with it, yeah, it's fun. Um in the same sense that, yeah, I guess Gene Hackman was a good Lex Luthor for those Superman movies. I maintain that. Yeah, and I say that with the very utmost sarcasm. I know. No. That's, uh, no. Yeah, because the, the, the best Lex Luthers to me have always been, in order, Clancy Brown, Kevin Spacey, 
James Marston. Well, if Kevin Spacey had had a decent script and movie to work with, it would have been better. But hey, you can't have everything. Well, yeah, but that's but that's the thing. I give I give him credit for doing so much despite with character, despite a horrid script, a shitty plot, and nothing going for him except his desire to just knock the role out of the fucking park anyway. Well, hey, at least we've got uh, Jesse Eisenberg to look forward to for Batman vs. Superman, Fuck right? you. Uh, oh, God, he's like douchey Michael Sarah. <laughs> God damn it. You got you get the little you got the little wiener head from Adventureland and Zombieland to play Lex wiener and the best we can ever get for fucking Brainiac is rendering him as an IBM desktop. This is off topic, but I maintain this. When they when they were looking for casting for Batman vs Superman, they're gonna cast Lex Luthor. Some poor unpaid intern who was on the internet looking at it saw that everyone wanted it to be Heisenberg, and he forgot the damn H. <laughs> God, why couldn't we have got fucking Brian Krantz? Because he's well, and, then, and then the word gets out from the from the man himself. Uh, no, Warner Brothers never even approached me. You never even goddamn asked. You just that was your plan. That was your plan. Just go straight. To, just go straight to the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg? So he was an asshole in this family boy outside. What, was Rob Schneider busy? <laughs> Rob Schneider is Lex Luthor, rated PG-13. Oh, God, stop. Okay, we're, all, we're, we're way off topic here. I wouldn't let Jesse Eisenberg play Superboy Prime. Oh, God. Oh, all that whining. Oh, all right. All right, well, let's get back on track here before we go too far off on a tangent here. But, all right, we're... All right, who else haven't we... Oh, we have not yet touched on the Penguin, which is... Uh, poor Burgess Meredith. He deserved uh, better. He, uh, he really did, but again, you know, give him credit for what the character was. At least he... Hey, I can watch him being the Penguin, and you can tell the guy's having fun. At least there's yeah. that. It, it, it's kind of like when you watch Rowdy Roddy Piper and almost it. Um, Roddy is actually not the worst actor in the world. It's just that Rodney has... Rodney, <laughs> Rodney the Piper. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Roddy, that, that Roddy has got choice of roles that makes Matthew McConaughey look positively Machiavelli. Um, but still, <laughs> even, even if he's got the worst script in the world, like, oh god, I'm trying to remember what it was. The um, the Canadian Harry Potter knockoff, um, that he was, that he was in. In fact, um, I'll look it up. Yeah, Obscurus Lupo reviewed it a couple of years ago. I can't, I can't remember for the life of me what the name of it, what the name of it was. Um, god love him. He he's taking a shit script, but he's just. It's like he's determined to just get as much fun out of the role for his own amusement as any. Um, and that's kind of like what it looks like anybody who is acting on the campaign. Uh, would that be the mystical adventures of Billy Owens? Yes. Thank you. That that's is it. Uh, fucking Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> but um, everybody on that on that Sherwood Schwartz suit from from you know the regulars like. 
Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt and Cesar Romero and Frank Gorshin and Burgess Meredith down to the just uh, occasional pop-in and say-hi ones like Eli Wallach and Vincent Price. They all really just went whole hog on the, on the role and just were determined to just go wild with it. And they did. Um, uh, however, the, in particular, Batman Arkham City really took the Penguin and really took him to new places to which he'd never really been dragged before. Um, quite frankly, they made him kind of a scary little son of a Yeah, there's, you know, he shows up so many, very frequently, and he's got this little angry, I mean, he's got a, he's got a small man complex, but he's so vicious about it. I mean, even though he's short and overweight, he still manages to be menacing. He's like Cartman. No. Shame on you. Shame on you. You, you. Robert Cooper, you go track down Nolan North right now, and you go apologize for that statement. Well, I would, but I don't have my computer on hand. Actually, uh, actually well, that's, uh, that, that's the other thing worth mentioning about it, is you have to give every bit as much credit to the performer as the writing, because Nolan fucking North uh, goes on to prove why... I guess if you're to go pound for pound, gender for gender, if Tara Strong is arguably the most versatile, best voice act, voice performer working in the business today, Nolan is a real, real close second. Um, he's Deadpool. Because, well, he's, he's not just Deadpool either. He's not only Deadpool, he, he can turn around and play a character like Deadpool or like uh, Nathan Drake, and then he just disappears into playing the Penguin so well that you have no idea you're listening to Nolan North. Just none of us. I mean, I I give Tara kind of the top billing because, let's face it, when you think about the roles she's played, she's become pretty much iconic um, in terms of of animation. However, you you always have a pretty good guess when... um, Nolan, on the other hand, I had no idea. Actually, my first thought was, holy shit, they got Bob Hoskins for this game? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, dead, I'm, dead, I'm dead serious. That was, my, that was my first supposition. Was, damn, they really got some A-listers for this. Not only did they get Mark Hamill, um, not only did they get Kevin Conroy, they managed to pull in Bob Hoskins. That's, kudos to you, Rocksteady and Warner Brothers. Do you know who played uh, Mr. Freeze? You know, uh. I will find it's out. Maurice LaMarche. Maurice LaMarche. The brain. Oh, really? Yeah, he's another great one. Um, he's another one who's had an amazing story career. Although now I just kind of want to dub in Pinky and the Brain dialogue between him and Batman. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do tonight, What are you doing tonight, Mr. Freeze? Batman. The same thing we do every night, Batman. Trying to take over the world. Batman. They're going to What I'm thinking... I think so, Freeze, but if Jimmy cracked corn and no one cares, why does he keep doing it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I miss those two. I think so, Mr. Freeze, but what if the Teletubbies don't fight fair? (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's... Uh, that's a good one for that. All right. Um, the only other major one we haven't hit, I think, would be Catwoman, unless I'm oh, really missing someone. Oh, you, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, you can. My apologies. As long as you mention Danny that's DeVito. Fun. Oh, God. 
the the evil like more, <laughs> the evil like inbred baby who hates the world and has fucking rocket penguins. I know. Uh, rocket be fountaining blood. <laughs> I I for my money, if it weren't for Batman and Robin, Batman Returns would be the worst Batman movie ever. I have oh, very I don't care for that film at all, and for a variety oh, of reasons. But different so, different podcast, different subjects. So, but yeah, Coop, I'm sorry. Your thoughts on the Penguin yeah. and yeah, the I fact mean, that we will never movie, get to see Philip Seymour Hoffman play the Penguin. Kind of thing. I don't know who else I would cast. It. I'm not a big movie guy. Yeah, like it's uh, actually the way they portrayed him in the uh, animated series was pretty cool, especially once after the redesign, he was trying to uh, kind of quote unquote fly straight. You know, he was a legitimate businessman then. But, you know, eventually he fell back into his own, his, his old ways. But I always thought that was really interesting when you look at him trying to be a, uh, in some iterations, he's a, uh, you know, he's a legitimate businessman. But other times he, like, runs a fucking gang, like uh, the No Man's Land comics from the early 2000s. That was always interesting. He was running his own gang. It was a really interesting comic. So I only read the book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, if nobody's ever read No Man's Land, it's pretty much like, yeah, a giant earthquake hits Gotham, and it becomes a free for all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, really that. It's actually yeah. really not. It's actually really a lot like Arkham City. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. It's, you could look at it exactly or, like Arkham City. Well, or, or to be or to be accurate, um, Arkham City, you kind of very loosely based on No Man's Land, the kind the same way that Arkham Asylum was based on, well. Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum, a serious place in a serious world? On serious Earth, yeah. On serious Earth. That was a really good comic. Oh, it yeah. It's so long. It is, uh, it is, it is so long. It's kind of pinch-shittingly terrifying in some places. I think that's the one Mark doesn't like. Really? The comic? He's not a... He's not a if I'm remembering it correctly, uh, that's... The artwork in that is very kind of surrealist. Oh, yeah. Type yeah, of, yeah and he prefers more realism in his... Oh, he, just, he doesn't I like looking at it, necessarily. Well, so, also, he brought that up on the Joker podcast. You also have to remember that there's a reason why Winfrey and I save all of the horror stuff for when Mark has to take time off. Yeah. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi. Uh, I, had, I had to do that. I'm like, oh, I have to do a hi, Mark. So, yeah, I noticed he didn't like... I need to go listen to the Evil Dead podcast just to see so I, if he actually didn't mind it. I'm <laughs> enjoyed I'm, it. Right, right now I'm going to acknowledge the so how's your sex life joke is hanging out there. But oh, don't do that. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to leave the low hanging fruit there. <laughs> now I'm tempted to make a joke about hanging fruit. Damn it, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at least that hanging fruit's not tied up. <laughs> God, he is gonna be—he's gonna like kick my ass for letting this go so long. Our <laughs> joke to his expense. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Mark. We hope he recovers. I've got. <laughs> I, I would, I would, yeah, I would keep going, but I'm afraid that he's gonna jump through, like the jump through the internet and beat me. All We're right. all Florida man. You know what? You know what? Though, all things considered, right now, Mark has got another beautiful child on the way, and if I haven't said it enough times yet, congratulations, big guy. And right now, he is kicking back down in that beautiful springtime Florida weather, 
with IMF, with I imagine all the incredible Hulk comics he can hold, and ice and comfortable dressings on his no-no plate. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that, ice. I'm pretty sure. I I'm pretty sure that right now Mark is actually probably feeling most feeling mostly. So we hope so. And if not, we hope he got lots of pain pills, which will induce feelings of euphoria. Oh yeah, Lyco will do it. Um, just as I've learned from from some experience, if you're going to take Vicodin, stay away from social media. <laughs> yeah. Do not. Oh God. Yeah. Things should not be done while under the influence of chemicals. Yeah, let um let let Melissa change the Facebook and Twitter passwords, and don't have her tell you what they are <laughs> until you come down. So, because <laughs> I have said I have said some things after wisdom teeth surgery. So you could say that his social networking needs to be put on ice. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could make that horrible, horrible pun. <laughs> if you feel so compelled to do so. Oh, I'm always compelled to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. I once drove a teaser to near drinking with it. Just near drinking? Yeah, yeah. I think I drove him back into drinking Red Bull because every day in third period I'd go, yeah, I get to the chopper just every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, the last major one that I think we haven't touched on is that we got ten minutes left. Uh, would be oh, Catwoman, who kind of falls into the anti-hero category of very frequently. So, Sean, uh, your thoughts on? Uh, well, let's go with Selena Kyle as opposed to you know other various. But you know, your thoughts on Catwoman? You know, Batman's love interest outside of Talia. <laughs> oh, Selena and Bruce are, to quote one of, I don't know why, it, I, I really seriously, I'm not, I'm not kidding around here, I don't know why it is, but it's one of my favorite lines for some reason from Hush. Um, Selena and Bruce are the stuff of great opera. Um, there, there's always so much there, but so much even, seemingly even before he reveals to her in that book that he's Batman. Um, there's, I mean, Selena's got a very, a very shrouded, checkered past. Um, there's, there's plenty of, of implication and all but confirmation, thanks to Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, that she is actually um, a blood member of the Falcone family, um, who never knew who never knew her father um, was was very tormented by his eventual death in the long Halloween trilogy and it's just kind of somewhat directionless she like a lot of people she's got like a lot of Batman's rogue she's got kind of a misguided altruistic streak it seems in which she her code is that, number one, she only steals from people she perceives as being able to afford it. And she also tends to favor, while she keeps a lot of the things that she steals, she occasionally has been known to take goods and use them in kind of a Robin Hood type fashion. And it kind of always drives a little bit of a wedge between her as Catwoman and Bruce and, and Bruce as Batman because... She's always seeing it as just good sport and not really ever, well, almost never 
seeking to really hurt him. Uh, for her, it's just it's the thrill of the chase, the thrill of the hunt, the the thrill of the steal. It's just it's just kind of what she does. But at the same time, she's also got enough of a conscience and enough of that altruistic streak that she's not averse to jump when she sees that Batman needs an extra hand or he's a little bit over his head. And it often sort of makes her motivations and and predicting her actions a little bit a little bit of a questionable game. And it's what makes her appearances in almost any story so damn intriguing. That and when she's when she's written well, she is really a joy to have around. Um, God damn, we keep coming back to Hush. Um, Jeff just writes her so well in that, especially the the repartee and the back and forth between her and Dick Grayson and her and Tim Drake. Especially since she really fucking doesn't like Tim. Um, well, you know, better than Jason, right? Yeah, um, yeah, a little bit, but I mean, you. Winfrey, remind me, have you read Hush? I am aware of it. I have not sat down and read the whole thing start to finish. But I know what okay. happens. Okay. I own it. Oh, you, said, you said you haven't read it? No, me, I own it. I've read it. Oh, own it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, well, there you go. So, Coop, so you're, you're familiar with the awesome scene in the Batcave when um, Selina realizes that Robin's been, Robin's been watching her and Bruce. Oh, it's been so long. And, what'd you say? I said it has been so long. Oh, really? Oh, God damn, you guys are killing me here. Um, but then there's also the way she absolutely sees red and actually goes just a little bit postal. Anytime somebody compares her to Robin, she just she just takes it immensely personally. Them's fighting words to her. So it's um it's a nice complexity, but something that's kind of rarely shown through in the actresses that have that have played her. Even Michelle Pfeiffer, for as magnetic as she was, didn't really quite capture. Um, well, in her defense, <laughs> that was so poorly written. Yeah, but I mean, but even Anne Hathaway, though, was kind of a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. I mean, hey, at least she's not the biggest letdown as Catwoman. Who would that be? The one that nobody, the one that nobody speaks up? By all <laughs> means, if, uh, hey, apparently we don't know who... I'm she has not been spoken of to such an extent that we are unaware of her. Halle Berry? Oh, Fuck God. you! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> See, I, I, was, I, I was sure you all, y'all were just trying to ignore me, but I just couldn't help it. Oh, I, I, had, like, I, I had blocked hmm? that from my mind. It, had, it has not crossed my mind when talking about Catwoman that Halle Berry should enter into the discussion. Oh, yeah. God, that's the first thing I thought of to troll the shit out of everybody. I willfully fucking blocked that from my thoughts, you dumbass. <laughs> no, I, I have never seen that movie. I don't need to see it to know how bad it is. And when I brought Catwoman up, I had legitimately, I had kind of forgotten that movie existed until you brought it up. And I was happy. <laughs> you have ruined part of my brain now, Coop. Well, 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 I mean, hey, if, if fucking Batman, Larry the Cable Guy, Mr. Freeze and Frozen, I mean, Jesus, I haven't done it already. I'm okay with those. Halle Berry is just one of those things that should not be mentioned. God damn it, yeah, Starcher, God damn it, Starcher, fuck you until the pool cue breaks off, too. You son what of a bitch. He just put the poster up. 
Now, uh, hang on, Sean, I have to ask, does the fact that that's immediately below the awesome sequence from Hush you were talking about just make it that much worse? Son of a... <laughs> you son of a... Beat. Oh, God. Okay, anyway, back on track. And yes, and yes, that is indeed a Jim Lee-drawn snippet from the wonderful scene I was talking about in which um, Kime and... Uh, Catwoman decide that it's go time. So that that's kind of the concluding moments of it. And rest assured, Dick Grayson does not necessarily have entirely nice things to say either. So well, what, but anyway, Coop. Apart from Halle Berry, returning that to the black hole where it should remain. Uh, you know, I wish to curse you for bringing it up, but at the same time. I feel like if we hadn't acknowledged how awful it was to one degree or another, it might have been just an oversight on all of our parts. So we've now ranted very briefly and indirectly about that steaming pile of various assorted body fluid. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, Catwoman, she's, she's, she's like a really, she's a really interesting character. See, I hadn't forgotten about the Long Halloween Jesus, I need to go back and read all on that. I haven't read some of those in almost... Eight nine years, that's forever. Man. Yeah, it's been forever since I've read a lot of those. But I've always always found Catwoman to be very interesting. Uh, actually, uh, hang like on. Let me. I want to cut you off real quickly. We're down to a minute of live time. So for anyone listening live, I will post the show in its entirety after we're done recording. Come back thirty minutes, give or take, and it should be up there. And thank you for listening live to anyone who happens to be doing so. Yes, thank you for so. patiently enduring us live. We'll do it live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> All right. Continue, Coop. Uh, yeah. I almost kind of like her more when she is just a straight villain, like how she was originally in the animated series, where, like, yeah, she had a little femme fatale to her, and, you know, you could tell there was something between her and Bruce, but at the same time, she was still a bad guy, even if she did get away. But, yeah, like, when, when she does get brought into the bad family, I, I do and what I do remember of her. I remember she was very snarky, and I love snarky. Oh, I love yeah. snarky women. In, I love snarky women in just media. It always entertains. She's plenty of fun. And, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer was good performance. It's just not working with much there, unfortunately. At least she Tim wasn't Burton as... demonstrates yeah. an ineptness in handling the character. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of sort of Tim Burton. God. I've, I've seen too many Tim Burton movies. My lifetime, including Dark Shadows. God, fuck that. Oh, <laughs> oh dear God, you you actually paid to watch Dark Shadows? It was at the two dollar theater. Was doing like, who's this? Dark Shadows? I'm like, dude, I told you the reviews are awful. He goes, but it looks like it might be funny. I'm like, all right. Most packed I've ever seen that theater. Fucking turd. Best thing of it was Alice Cooper showed up. That was all. Unless you shot everyone, it's not worth it. God damn it, you people. Yeah. Taught this lesson enough to know better by now. Uh, it was. I was like, "Oh boy, here's a uh, Johnny Depp playing a quirky fish out of water character." Woo! You know when, uh, you know when sticking your fingers in a toaster quits hurting? When you quit sticking them in the toaster. It's true. Uh, well, some people enjoy that pain, as are many Johnny Depp fangirls. I mean, the guy can act when, well, when he's not around Tim Burton. Who are you telling? Or, I, 
Who are you telling? I was engaged to the overlord of Johnny Depp fangirls for several years. I'm sorry. You poor thing. Oh, the, poor, oh, poor thing. God, oh, God, the depth I have had to... So we don't know the depth of your pain. Puns. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, that was bad, and I should feel bad. Cooper, your ancestors will feel the sting of what I do to you. <laughs> I don't know whether I should be scared or aroused. <laughs> yeah, as much as I like oh, that man. line about the ancestors feeling it, honestly, and this is completely off topic, but my favorite line about how much you're going to hurt someone actually comes from Jean-Claude Van Damme from the campy but somewhat enjoyable Street Fighter movie when he says he's going to kick Bison's ass so hard the next Bison wannabe is going to feel it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, I defended that movie the other day just for all Julia's performance. Hey, yeah. I... You know that what? Is, yeah. That movie is campy and not good in a, from a technical standpoint. I can sit down and enjoy the hell out of it. You know exactly. what? Quite frankly, if there are three castings done absolutely right in that movie, if you got to get somebody to play Bison, by all means, the late, great Raul Julia was the absolute right choice. If you had to get somebody to play Guile and you couldn't find um, an American who uh, who didn't sound like he had a mouthful of cock. Um, yeah, then I guess Jean-Claude Van. Um, however, if you have to find a tight booty sculpted out of adamantium to cram into Cammy's outfit, Kylie Minogue, good choice. I'd also say, uh, didn't they get, didn't they get, wasn't it Kelly Who that played uh, Chun-Li in that? Uh, you know what? I do believe that was Kelly Dewey. You may be right. Jeez, that was good casting in that film. It wasn't, yeah. it, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, even even if, you know, Van Damme proved to be comically good casting, I mean, anymore, God, I think we can I think we can all agree that, hell, we would have rather seen Rob Van Damme play Guile than, than J.P.D. No. Good movie. I, I don't want uh, to Rob Van Damme. Or, or, or like that time they got Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas to play Vega. Oh, uh, uh. And look, and let me just say this. The less said about Neil McDonough's portrayal of Bison, the better. And they got that Kristen Crook to play... Who the fuck did she play in that movie? Chun Lee. God damn it, that is awful casting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anyway, okay, back on track. Setting aside Street Fighter. (laughs) So Batman, that's a thing. Well, I mean, we were talking... You had mentioned... uh, You were kind of talking about Michelle Pfeiffer's version of Catwoman, and we took various tangents. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought she did a good job. Yeah, we got on Johnny. <laughs> we got on Tim Burton. He, yeah. he leads to dark places. And dark shadows. I hope. But yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Got, we got on Tim Burton during the five minutes when Helena Bonham Carter wasn't getting on him. Uh, uh, and then she wasn't getting on his movies. Ah. Uh, she's such a talented actor. Damn it, you're like Johnny Depp. But anyways... Yeah, like I, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer did a pretty pretty solid job. Uh, Anne Hathaway was kind of there. Like I thought she was she was solid. She didn't really leave a resounding impact with me. It did. It was much more impressive. Hmm? It didn't suck. I mean, it didn't suck. I was I wasn't really blown away. But that movie, I was really kind of hyped for it, and I was still like really like happy I saw the movie. God damn, that movie is long. That oh, is like yeah, it's I mean, a tad long. You know, plot holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long. It was still, it was still a really good movie, and I will forever be grateful for the fact that some Halloween, I'm gonna get a skull cap and just get a Bane mask, and I'll go as Bane for Halloween. Great. Nice. Yeah, cause, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't. I never do Halloween. I'm not good at dressing up. But yeah, like she, Anne Hathaway was solid. I thought she was pretty good. I mean, hey, I mean, you, the low bar is pretty low. I mean, I'm pretty sure like quadriplegic could hurdle the the bar that is Halle Berry's performance in Catwoman. Uh, like, is that yeah. bad? Yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah. She oh, played it, basketball. It, yeah, and, and and then again, we also have we also have to wonder though, what would have happened if Sean Young actually would have gotten the catalog? Hmm. Interesting theory. Mm. Yeah, you know, fun thing to think about. <laughs> I'd right. be happy that they didn't bring the Halle Berry character in his catalog. <laughs> Damn it! I was imagine? so happy having legitimately forgotten about that. Well, now no, you I have like just, another like what? I should never even have to be apologized for that. No, yeah. seriously. That was part of her Razzie acceptance speech. Yeah, she's like, I want to th- didn't she thank her agent for booking her in such a shitty-ass movie? Something to that effect. Yeah, I mean, hey, didn't she win, like, the next night? I think Kevin Berry's okay. I'm not a huge, she's an okay actress. You know, when she's not doing Gatwoman. She's, she's, not, she's not bad. It's just that... The one year she, the one year she won the Oscar, it was so obviously. Oh, we've had years. We, we've had years like this. Yeah, well, I mean, this Jamie Foxx is high. Uh, I don't know. That that year, I think it could be argued that Jane, um, Ray really was that Ray really was that good. Unfortunately, Jamie just kept subjecting us to the Ray Charles impression for the next year. <laughs> uh, or Sean Penn, either time. Okay, now, yeah, that one was clearly a... God, let's just give him one so we shut people. And Bill Murray absolutely deserved it. Oh, 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 100% absolutely. And then, I maintain Mickey Rourke got robbed. And he, he got robbed, and it's no secret he was robbed because he took part in a project that's so spotlighted, which... To Hollywood is always, always, no matter how much they may patronize Vince McMahon every so often, is always just going to be the haven of the unwashed. Um, oh yeah, wrestling was such a good movie, especially I, I, with, especially as a kid who was just getting into indie wrestling at the time, and I was like, I know who the Necro Butcher is. Now, now you want to talk about somebody who can do no wrong as a filmmaker, Darren Aronoff. I don't know. I, I'm hesitant about Noah, but. By and large, I agree with your assessment. I'm hesitant, but my thought is is that if anybody realistically would have a great shot of pulling that off respectfully, compellingly, and in a way that's going to satisfy all sides, in a way that Mel Gibson couldn't, it would be him. He, He would probably be, like, him, Martin Scorsese, and Christopher Nolan would probably be at the very top of my list. For yeah. people that I would tap for that problem. Alright, um, I think we've hit all the major Batman villains. So, uh, here's your here's personal preference time. Anybody that we haven't talked about that you feel deserves a quick treatment? Coop? <laughs> oh, do I have some people? Oh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> let's start out with uh, the coolest looking guy, I think. Dead, Deadshot? I think Deadshot's pretty awesome. He's kind of... Like, you know, his his character is, I really got to people. But he, it's still really, really kind of interesting when you compare him to the man who does not shoot people, Batman. Is the only gun he has is a grappling gun. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that shot's always been cool. Uh, Black Mask. I remember I read some of the oh, war games. Oh, yeah. 
I very specifically wanted to bring him up because the poor guy has never been done justice. Oh, when you look no. at what he is in the comics as opposed to all the various kind of interpretations on film and in television and whatnot, the poor guy, he's an interesting character and he's never taken anything approaching seriously. Warner Brothers Montreal, I would have words with the... Didn't, I'm pretty sure in the comic, didn't he make uh, one of Batman's, uh, uh, one, one, of, one of the Bat family, I want to say it was uh, the, the one with the purple, in the purple shit, I forget her name. But uh, did, didn't he okay. tie her up and feed her pieces of somebody? Hmm. can't remember who. But I remember it was really fucked up. Yeah, Black, Black Mask, in the comics I've read, he is very, very well done. Very old statistic. I mean, you know, that, that'll make you, I'd get you a long way in a lot of comics. And yet, the best we can do, and yet the best we can do in Arkham Origins is a fucking bait and switch and then relegate him to being a meaningless side quest for the rest of the game. Just completely really? To, every, to absolutely everything else. Piss me off. And you know what? I'll even go so far as to say that I'm a little bit conflicted about it because I actually really ended up enjoying what we got from the Joker. I just hated the fact that for about the first ha- first quarter of the game, we're baited into thinking that Black Mask is our antagonist, and in the end, nope, it turns out it was just Joker masquerading as him the whole time. Womp womp! That's how I felt like at the Dark Knight Rises. I'm like, yeah, Bane! And then it's like, Teddy, I'm cool. And I'm like, what? No, it's Bane! Fuck you. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. And... The only version of him that I think is even close to favorable is if you for anyone who's seen uh, Under the Red Hood because he's the guy who kind of gets who is targeted by the revived Jason Todd and is trying to and winds up like getting the Joker out of Arkham and even then you know he's just a crime boss with a mask and with anger management issues is kind of how he's played there. Yeah, yeah. I always found him to be cool. Uh, Speaking of people that had to do ones with Jason Todd, Clayface. We didn't bring up Clayface. Okay, uh, I always yeah. his. Yeah. Don't worry, I have I have more down the list. For, 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 I'm sure hey, okay, how about like, yeah. gonna do, I'm going to let you guys go one for one after this because I think you might run down the whole list. So let's let's do Clayface. Yeah, I will. Pick a quick one. Then Sean gets to pick a quick one. So okay, you uh, know, yeah. my favorite thing about Clayface was again animated series where I was introduced to him, and that's another character that was revi- that was kind of a throwaway from the comics, and then you get... Uh, didn't Ron Perlman do his voice, do the voice acting for that character in that show? Yes. Yes, I think so. And God bless Ron Perlman. Son of a bitch, he's been both Deathstroke and he's been Clayface. Oh, he was... De- yeah, he is perfect with Deathstroke. I didn't know he was Deathstroke. Well, well team Ti- the Titans called him Slave. Oh, oh yeah! Duh! Yeah, I mean, it's, Teen, Teen Titans was a great show, especially when you got towards those last few seasons where the end games start to pile up. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Damn it, Cartoon Network. Why do you have to make Teen Titans go? I mean, I guess that it's kind of fun and all. Fuck. Yeah, Ron Perlman. Got, so, okay, Clayface. I mean, well, for those of you who don't know, he was kind of a throwaway character in the comics and then in the animated series. They brought him in as uh, a an over-the-hill actor who used to be known for kind of the Lon Chaney senior role of Man with a Thousand Faces. And he was in a car accident that disfigured him. So, you know, I can't help but wonder if that was kind of a nod to Mark Hamill. Yeah. And, <laughs> jokes aside, but... And he winds up overdosing on this uh, 
facial cream that's supposed to help... I mean, you know, Batman comic logic, and it turns him into the giant mound of clay that can replicate things and whatnot. But the fact that, again, you've, you're given a character and you're given some backstory and some reason to care about him, he becomes interesting and is now... And, you know, again, it's kind of revitalized. I mean, he's the final boss in uh, Arkham City, if memory serves. Mm, was he? Uh, well, I mean, he wind up breaking into the theater to... There's a confrontation with the Joker after that, but he's the last, like, boss. Oh, yeah, Clayface was the uh, fake Joker. He was the healthy Joker. And, yes, I'm yeah. going to spoil things, because the game's been out for three years. Get over it. <laughs> but, yeah, he was the healthy Joker the whole time. Yeah, now I remember. That, that was an interesting fight with the cold and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's, okay. That's, that's Clayface. Yeah, it's actually the, uh, well, it's actually the version of Clayface that I thought was really interesting that I don't think anybody remembers, because who the fuck remembers the Batman? Huh? Which version? Because there were two the, versions the, of Clayface of Batman. The, the, there was the one Batman, that was, the one that, uh, no, because there the were cop. two within the Batman. You had the cop friend, uh, Ethan Bennett, and then you yeah, had yeah. the failed, then you had the guy who was, the failed actor who was trying to get into a dog food commercial and broke into Wayne Labs and became the other Clayface. Yeah. Um, oh, so which yeah. one you talking? I, I about? forgot about him. Oh, yeah, the top one. I didn't know the dog one existed. Matt Hagen was the one in the animated series. Um, the one, yeah. in, the one in the uh, in the Arkham games is Basil Carlo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one from the Batman, like always, I thought that was a really interesting take on the character, taking a character that was already established, and you know, somebody that we kind of already knew and liked, and turn him into well, kind of. I did one for a while. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that version of Clayface just kind of, uh, like, morally just ambiguous, I want to say? Like, I don't remember him being necessarily evil. <sighs> he had a he had one of the uh, redemption arcs in that story, if memory serves, because uh, he became a bad guy who, he was trying to, like, fight crime, but no one, was, but he took it too far, and then he tried to rehabilitate himself and decided it was too hard to be a good guy, so he became more evil, and then wound up redeeming himself in the end again, if memory serves, I mean... I just know what I read, and I watched a very little of that series. Yeah, I watched like the first season, you know, with the uh, the Rastafarian Joker. So <laughs> that was always an in- was always an interesting character design. Though. Yeah, yeah, it was. was All right, yeah, so right Cooper goes with Clayface. Yeah, Sean. Okay, um, I'm going to go with one that I can't believe we didn't talk about. Actually, um, Rachel Ghoul. That's what oh, I was yeah. getting to next. Didn't talk about. <laughs> Didn't talk about Ross yet. All right. So, for those of you who don't know, if you well, everyone should know because he was the primary villain in Batman Begins, and minus the mystical nature of the Lazarus Pit and whatnot, was actually explained relatively accurate to the character. I mean, again, when you take out the fact that he uses these mystical pools to remain immortal, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, you're free to tell me if I'm wrong there, Sean. But my understanding. No. Oh, yeah. No, you're you're pretty much right. That's pretty much his whole thing. And, and along the way, throughout his centuries of lifespan, he's managed to accumulate a level of wealth and resources that is really... I guess if you were to span the whole DC universe, the two guys that come to my mind that would really be comparable would be Lex Luthor and Vandal Savage. I mean, and Lex yeah, Luthor is immortal. Vandal Savage. Yeah, but I mean, he he's got the ability to pull such such amazing, significant strings, and also such a lack of restraint and a lack of lines that he won't cross. Well, he hired the Joker. 
Well, well, yeah, but I mean, there, there's so little that he won't do in order to systematically wipe out humanity and pretty much give the world a clean slate to start with. Yeah, I mean, the one that kind of, you know, my, one of my first exposures to that character, apart from Liam Neeson, but, uh, again, I have to mention Under the Red Hood, and uh, because that's, you know, my exposure to the backstory of kind of death in the family. And he hires the Joker to distract Batman while he tries to crash the world's economy, and Joker winds up killing Jason Todd because he's the Joker, and he's crazy. <laughs> but, you know, for someone to just voluntarily hire the Joker, I mean, especially someone who knows just how crazy he is. So, uh, I'm just curious, did you enjoy Liam Neeson's version of Ra's al Ghul? Did I enjoy it? I, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I thought that it really worked pretty well for the universe that... Um, that Nolan was creating, and so yeah, in that in that sense, I thought it was I thought it was really pretty effective, and they did it without diving too deeply into the um, into the kind of far flung concept of the Lazarus Pits. So I thought to kind of create that workaround, I thought he was the best. And, and also, it's rare you ever get to see Liam Neeson play a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked I liked him as a. I liked him just fine in the movies. I felt like that was a pretty, pretty good representation of again, what you can get from Rachel Ghoul in a very realistic setting. If you kind of take out the Lazarus pits and stuff, and just make him and make him at them like the leader of the League of Assassins. Stuff. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty good. I, I felt like for a movie that was really focused on Batman, he would be the best villain to bring in. Because you know you. Technically, in that universe, I think didn't he train Batman in the re- in the regular universe too? I, um, I couldn't tell you, Sean. Do you know off the top of your head? I'm sorry. Repeat the question one more time. Uh, oh, in the, uh, Batman Begins, he train uh, Ra's al Ghul trains Batman. Uh, was that was that reflected in the comic universe as well, or I don't think because I know they interacted. Not that not that I remember, but again, I mean, I'm there's a lot of continuities in a lot of books that. That I haven't read, and yeah, they, yeah, they did interact. I, well, I know he the, that bit about him wanting Bruce to take over the League of Assassins or the League of Shadows, or whatever you want to call it. That was that was a storyline from you know I, again you know there's a lot of continuity to keep track of, but I believe that was touched on. He did want Bruce Wayne to take over the League for him at one point, and yeah, I he, just don't remember the extent like to which a, he trained him. He wanted Bruce to be his. Like that's he was like, yeah, I got a beautiful daughter. She loves you and everything. Uh, you know, you're a smart guy. I'm a smart guy. You know, I see a lot of me in you. I like, like, I like how they had a really healthy respect and like, Rachel actually really liked, liked Batman. He liked Bruce. It's just Bruce looked at his methods and said, there, you know, there's another way than flooding ninety uh, percent of the world. If I'm not mistaken. That was his plan. Like, yeah, he wanted to destroy all the world and you know, re- re- make it anew. And, Batman's like, nah, I don't think I can let you do that. But they always, always noticed they had a really healthy respect for one another, at least in the comics and the animated series and stuff. Because in the animated series, he called him Detective. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't call him, you know, Batman. He's like, oh, Detective. But he was always, he was always a really interesting character. I always really enjoyed him. And the whole Azure Spin thing is really interesting, especially when you consider the, the, the first the first few hours outside of the Lazarus Spin, he's like fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, makes it even even more interesting. With a man that much resources goes a little insane. Yeah. Uh, we cover everything you wanted to hit on with uh, Rache there, Sean? I think that about covered it pretty well. All right, Coop. 
Harley Quinn. Oh, I oh. kind of figured you might bring her up. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, like, who who, who do we need to hit? Because I know well, we're not uh, going to get everybody. No, it's, it's an expensive list. But uh, for me, the interesting thing about Harley Quinn was she was a character that was unique to Batman the Animated Series and became so popular and successful that they adopted her over into the comics. I mean, yeah. this wasn't a case of rehabbing a character like you had with with Mr. Freeze or Clayface or you know, Poison Ivy. This was... They complete... Whoever was writing that decided, you know, we need to give Joker a love interest sidekick lackey. How are we going to do this? And they crafted a story that resonated, and the comic decided, yeah, we'll do that too. We, li- we like what you did there. Yeah. Always always really enjoyed that. I think one of my favorite stories with her from the animated series is the one where she actually traps Batman and was going to kill him, and the Joker got mad because he wanted to do it. And doesn't he, doesn't he throw her out of a window or something like that? He pushes her out of her car yeah. at one point. I mean, <laughs> that's actually the episode where she hooks up with Poison Ivy. Was yeah. After they, like her, they botch a robbery or something, and Joker just, like, kicks her out of a moving car. At the end of the episode, she yeah. goes back to him, But Like, yeah, he, like, in the one I was thinking of, yeah, he throws her out of a window and, like, seriously injures her. But, like, her character was really interesting because I, I love what it's always brought up, that uh, the Joker is so uh, crazy makes everyone around him like it, just like him. Like, you know, she was originally his psych, his uh, psychiatrist at Arkham, and after, you know, after a while, he would tell her sad stories, and, you know, she started to feel bad for him, and, you know, started falling in love with him. And then she, you know, just kind of went a little crazy herself. Harleen Quinzel, which is, you know, clever naming. Well, like, she's, she's one of those characters I like how, from the animated series, I'd say she's one of the most successful, because... You know, she's, I'd say she's actually one of his bigger villains now. Because she's so recognizable, and a lot of people just love just love her look and her attitude and everything. So, Sean, when she got her own DLC in uh, Batman in Arkham City, after you kill the, after you allow the Joker to die, and she seeks her revenge, how did that, how did that play for it? As a missed opportunity. I mean, the fact is, it's not like Harley Quinn is really doesn't have the potential to be an interesting character or, like, she's not fun to have around. Um, particularly particularly when she's portrayed by either Arlene Sorkin or, to a somewhat lesser extent, Tara Strong. It's, it's just that I feel like she's almost been, at this point, been overused to the point to where she's been trying to be put into roles where she just doesn't feel like she should be naturally uh, a worthy adversary of that. Um, yeah, she's a little too goofy, I think. I mean, that that one episode where she actually, you know, put put it on her mind that she was going to impress Puddin, you know, the Joker, impress him by using one of her plans, actually thinking, because she's an intelligent... Remember, her character, she's a very intelligent person. It's just she's oh, yeah. batshit insane. But uh, most of the time, I kind of see her as the, uh, the the lovable, like bumbling, like a sidekick for the like, for the most part. Like she's got other parts of her character, especially when you kind of uh, look at her relationship with the Joker, especially in the uh, the animated series, and like you know how, when she reflects on how she used to be, and you know why that is. I mean, she has plenty of potential to be interesting, but yeah, she doesn't, especially in the Arkham games doesn't really strike me as the uh, 
you know, the I will, I, I will get you revenge for killing my father type well, of person. Yeah, and I mean, and you mentioned the Harley Quinn revenge DLC, and that's, that's case in point right there. And the fact is, that was a point to where really you kind of had a little bit of a ghost of a possibility to kind of actually develop her a little bit. But instead, all we really got in terms of it being Harley Quinn's revenge was, yes, the fact that she kind of lucked out and had managed to uh, capture Batman and Robin had to go into the steel mill after him. But most of the game, all that you really get in terms of Harley is just the kind of cutscenes and monologuing that would just make Syndrome just pinch the bridge of his nose and just go, Ow. Really? You're never given a sense that there's really any jeopardy to either. That that either is ever really a, a, match, for, a match for Batman. And so... And that's kind of that's kind of the tale of how she's been used in that she's given these major arcs because fans love her. She's she's popular with the fan service. She's quirky. She's funny. She's lighthearted. And yeah, she's got a kind of weird chemistry with Poison Ivy, which curiously enough seems to work. Who knew? But that's about the extent of it. And. In a way, I, I kind of blame, for, for those of you out there who are wrestling fans, and that's, I realize, actually a pretty sizable portion of our audience, you, you'll kind of understand, understand perhaps, this comparison. Uh, su- suppose you have Heath Slater and John Cena. Oh, God. Now, I firmly believe that for you to actually build it up correctly and all sides were to play their parts well, over time, you could perhaps realistically build it up to the point to where Heath Slater could seem like he's actually somewhat of a match for Cena. It would, but it would take time, and you would have to do it right. On the other hand, if you just simply put those two in a ring, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Heath is getting all of the dominating offense and is just running circles around Cena and making him look positively outclassed, it's not quite going to feel right. It, it's going to feel a little, bit un, a little bit unnatural. You kind of have to take a little bit of a longer road to get there. Like and Billy Kidman so, and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yes, actually, very good example. Excellent example. Even better than mine. Um, but again, sometimes you do it right, and it can work. Like, for example, you get Jeff Hardy and Undertaker in a ladder match, and Undertaker, God bless Mark Calloway, positively busts his ass to actually make every single person in that arena, and even a lot of people watching at home, legitimately believe, even if just for a second, that Jeff Hardy was legitimately going to win the WWE title. And God bless but, Jim Ross for selling that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you, actually. That, that's good. Yeah, Jim Ross deserves plenty of credit for that. For that, too. Jim was in full-on stone-cold, stone-cold, stone-cold mode. He is. I love that match. That was one of his finest hours on commentary of what was otherwise not always a great era for the product. But Jim made it work. Okay, well, so it is with comics. You've got to have just the right writer with just the right idea. Um, You've got to have just the right scenario. It helps if you've got the right artist who can really bring that to life. But 
if you're if the sum total of your plan is just all of a sudden we're going to have Harley capture Batman be within an inch of killing the world's greatest detective after years of being a somewhat capable B minus sidekick and everybody is just going to buy it readily readily right up until the moment that the Joker stops them. Well, no, that's going to set bullshit meters off for miles around. So at this point, the hand has been good and thoroughly overplayed. Um, however, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to enjoy her popping up whatever she, um, she's, she's fun enough in Injustice Gods Among Us and Lord knows, I'm kind of curious as to what they're going to do with her in Batman Arkham Knight. But, you know, as someone who's really just kind of making his journey deep into comics, am I probably ever going to actually pick up a Harley Quinn book? No, not really. Not because I don't like her, but just because there's enough that's that compelling about her that I want to see her center stage. All right. And, okay, we've got... Like we're down to like what, 25 minutes of overrun left. So okay, last last ones, fi- uh, final ones. Uh, I believe we're on you, Sean. You okay. get one. Cooper gets one, and then we'll do plugs and close up shop. Last one for you. Okie dokie, artichokey. Solomon Grundy. Oh, the giant zombie. I love zombies. <laughs> the giant zombie, but another one who was kind of you got to really hand it to Justice. Justice League crafted a single episode that actually kind of mined his potential a little bit. And always after I watched it, kind of made me wish that the comics would have done a little more with it at times. Uh, you guys probably know the one that I'm talking about. Um, and although I love it, I can't remember the exact set, but I remember that a big, a big crucial point of it is they're after some kind of MacGuffin that can grant... The whip can grant the greatest heart's desire of whoever holds it, and you get this moment of bonding between of all the people, Hawk Girl, and Grundy, um, over the fact that all Grundy really seems to want is just his is just his soul at peace. After after so many years of being supernaturally reincarnated, that's that's the only thing on his mind anymore. It's just tired of it and he just kind of wants his soul back and it's the kind of thing that you could argue was done to death in Buffy but at the very least the interplay between those two characters you'd have to have a little bit of a heart of stone as you're watching that to not all of a sudden become invested in what's traditionally been a fairly forgettable B character Uh, yeah I agree. Well, wasn't he initially just a Green Lantern villain who was resistant to the ring because there was so much plant matter in him after being in the swamp for so long? I believe so. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree with you. He's an interesting... There's an, there's a lot of interesting potential for his character. And for those of you who aren't aware of Solomon Grundy, I'd encourage you, and normally I'd do a spiel here, but since I'm aware of kind of the time constraints here, I would say... Do some look him up because he's not just a zombie. I mean, I kind of characterized him that way, but there's more to it than that, and there's a lot of fun and fun potential that could be had with him. So, okay, Coop, anything on Grundy, and then your final one. Yeah, Grundy's cool. Uh, oh, final one is so hard because there's a few that have popped in my head. I guess uh, Killer Croc. Killer Croc's always good. So, I mean, I was also thinking like uh, 
just honorable mentions, so like literally just in name. Like you've got Matt Hatter, he's awesome. Uh, Hush, we really talked much about Hush. Uh, I like Calendar Man, especially when they turned him into like Hannibal Lecter. Like he's pretty right. awesome. But yeah, like Killer Croc, uh, he, he was—he's never been the smartest character. <laughs> no, he has. No, he has not. Uh, you hit him with a rock. Almost <laughs> hit him with a rock. Yeah. Almost hit him with a rock. Yeah, but I'm pretty one. sure when. It was a big one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, his character, I'm pretty sure his uh, his backstory was that he was a uh, circus performer. He was a man that had a skin disease that turned his like skin into torial trait reptilian, and that's just kind of how how he got his start. And if I'm not mistaken, he's just gotten very very more and more crocodile like as the years have been going on. Like if you look at a. Uh, Hell, in the Arkham games, he's practically a giant fucking crocodile. Because fuck you, I'm a crocodile. That's I was surprised I when I about. sat down when I sat down to play Arkham Asylum, and I realized they were making Croc in, into a big deal. I'm like, well, okay, because again, my exposure was kind of limited to the animated series, where you know, I almost hit him with a rock. <laughs> and yeah, for them to turn him into this really kind of feral, gigantic monster that is kind of legitimately intimidating and his level was frustrating because you have to go slow but God, I hated that of, level for them to take him in that direction I was really kind of surprised and it made me kind of wish that we'd done that that more had been done with the character across different mediums yeah yeah I mean he was he was fucking terrifying in those games so like I said I hated that level because I hate moving I like moving slow in games I'm supposed to move slow Actually, oh, well. I, mean, I kind of like the satisfaction that if, that you have Croc coming roaring towards you, and then all you have to do is just wing a single batarang at him, and he goes stumbling off into the water again. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I felt like he was at least worth bringing up. I'm sure there are other ones. There, well, there are plenty I, of other names that I forgot. I resisted the urge to spend this entire podcast talking about the man bat. Oh, damn it, I meant to talk about Man Bat, because he was the first villain ever in the animated series. True, <laughs> true, he was. Yeah, on Leather Yeah, uh, you know, a guy who winds up splicing DNA together and becomes, a, you know, the Man Bat. It's uh, you know, an interesting character, uh, you know, kind of a... Yeah, considering we talked so much about... We talked a bit about the lizard last week here when we talked about Spider-Man villains, kind of in the same vein in some respects. What, would, uh, what I like about him being the first Batman the animated series villain is it's like, see Warner Brothers, you asshole, Batman is more than just Batman being Sam the Sheepdog and the Joker being Ralph the Coyote. Yeah, that, that's very true. Alright, so, uh, Sean, real quick, any thoughts on Killer Croc? Um, Croc has big... <laughs> <laughs> Or well, or Batman speaking for Croc has big rocks. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, Croc was really well done in the Arkham City games, and I even kind of like the nice touch that, in terms of story chronology, yeah, he doesn't look nearly as gigantic or feral in Origins as he does in Asylum or his very brief Arkham City. So that right there is kind of a nice touch. Um, although... For fuck's sake, guys, if you're going to put him in the next game, don't do what you did in Origins. Actually make him a part of the damn game. Don't, don't just make him the throwaway tutorial. Alright, so to the unpaid intern listening to this show, if you happen to be 
involved in that process. He's not just a tutorial boss. Give the guy some meat. You, it's been proven that he can be effective. Yeah. I mean, he was like the big bad, by and large, in Arkham Asylum. I mean, yes, the Joker was the primary villain, but for some reason, Croc was like this really menacing, kind of omnipresent thing that was built up as a monster worth fighting. So don't don't go backwards on that. Don't turn him into a joke. If you're going to do something with him, make it legitimate. All right, Cooper, I know you've got, like, we've got about 20 minutes of recorded time left, so that means you have to cut your podcast, your uh, plugs in half. Oh, God. I can just do them faster. Yeah, I'll okay. do them faster. All okay, right. so uh, the plugs. Uh, a lot of my stuff is on the Rattletron Broadcasting Network. Pretty awesome little network we have here, I think so. Uh, this Tuesday, Jonas Tending, we will uh, have the Metal Hammer of Doom, which is myself and old man Mark Radlich doing our favorite metal covers of all time. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And then the week after that, Jonas Pending again, we are going to be doing Austrian Death Machines Triple Brutal, which is going to be fun because fucking Austrian Death Machines is awesome. Uh, there also is... Uh, oh, what else am I on in here? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Cheap Seats. You know, from, from the Cheap Seats, myself and Jason Teeley talking sports, though recently it's kind of been going like there's no sports news so we are left to our own devices where we discuss rectal thermometers and how we got lesbianism from the song Let It Go I don't know either and then finally my baby of a podcast the Sentai Rider podcast uh, it's usually on Saturdays and Mondays on, here on the Rattledge Broadcasting Network it's it's me and my friends talking to Okusatsu such a Power Ranger you're Super Sentai Kamen Rider Ultraman Godzilla, it's pretty great. Love it. It's uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Sentai Rider Podcast. It's all one word. Pretty awesome. Love it. And then finally, in terms of podcasting, there is the Cooperative Multiplayer Podcast, which is every Saturday night at midnight on the uh, on Wrestling to the Max page on Spreaker.com. It's myself, Sean Garmer, and Daniel Anderson, and sometimes Stephen Randall when his newborn decides to sleep. It's, it's us talking video games. Pretty awesome. And then uh, finally, as for uh, my column that allegedly still is a thing, uh, the Hammer of Doom News Report on flowmonmania.com and the Music Zone. I'm hoping to get it in this week. It's, it's getting to be kind of a chore because like six hours of dedicated research and writing a week is a pain in my ass, especially when I'm in college. But hopefully that will be out this God, it's been too long. So yeah, there we go. You got my plugs. All right, Sean, what do you got? Did just refer to the Hamburger of Doom? Hammer. No. <laughs> yes, the hamburger of doom. It'll clog your arteries. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be a death metal song out there somewhere called the Hamburger of Doom. I- I'm hamburger fairly sure of doom. it. <laughs> oh, God, so help me if that's not a death lock song. <laughs> Seriously. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to keep mine extra special uh, because really the only definite thing coming up that I really want to plug is April 8th, uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio on the Vladalichin Broadcasting Network. It is myself and the man on the other end of the three-way tin can string tonight, Robert Winfrey, uh, talking about, well, starting to talk about all seven Saw movies. Um, Our first episode is going to be talking about quite easily the three best in the series, uh, Saw, Saw 2, and Saw 3, the Amanda Trilogy. And then two weeks after that, we the four Saw movies on April 22nd. Um, 
Two weeks after that, we are going to be joined probably by Jeff Lucid to talk about the Fast and the Furious movies throughout a two-part series on, on the show. And then right before Mark Rodolich comes back, we are going to round out our three months of fun with a two-part series looking at the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, three good movies and scores of, oh God, oh God, why, 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 why? Bad pun, bad pun, bad pun. <laughs> bad pun, okay. bad pun, bad touch, bad touch. Considering the entire second film is just an analogy for a man coming to grips with his own homosexuality? <laughs> In any case, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty... Alright, as for me, um... Locked in the guillotine, the goes live every Friday in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. I look at fight cards, news in the world of mixed martial arts. The one that's live right now, I review UFC 171 no buys and preview UFC Fight Night <laughs> and preview UFC Fight Night Cripple Fight, Henderson versus Hua 2. Cripple Fight! <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's right. going to have a leg to stand on by the end of that. Literally, I'm amazed, amazed Jokic still has legs. I'm amazed they have not been replaced with some sort of bionic implants. Alright, and this week, this a couple of days from now, <laughs> a couple of days from now, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network, I am hosting the 411 Ground and Pound radio show where we will be competing live with UFC Fight Night Henderson versus Hua 2 because it's on Sunday this time around. Mark Radlitz will be giving us periodic live updates in the interim. Myself, Pat Mullen, possibly Jeff Harris, we will be discussing events in the world of mixed martial arts, such as the release of Melvin Guillard, Dan Henderson insisting he has a new fight deal and will continue without TRT, the buy rate for UFC 170 featuring the biggest star that the UFC has ever seen, according to UFC President Dana White, and all sorts of fun stuff like that while we get updates on the live action from Mr. Radlich. All right. Uh, I don't have anything lined up for next week just yet here on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. I might do Green Lantern villains and have Sean back because he has threatened me with violence if I do not invite him onto that show. And, hey, I said at the start of this podcast... I'm up to my waist in comic villains, and at this point, if I stop, it's no easier to go forward or backwards. So we'll keep chugging on with that. I will have an announcement about it. I'm, it could very well be Green Lantern villains. If not, I'll see if I can get Pat on, and we'll talk Thor villains. We'll do something. To, one of those two next week. You have my word on that one. And I think that's going to wrap everything up. So for the metalhead, Robert Cooper. Fun time, Robert. <laughs> Fun time. There it is. And for the man in the Fortress of Seanitude, who worships at the altar of Jeff Johns, that that fair to say there, Sean? Damn straight. <laughs> oh, what, what All right. Oh, hang on, hang on. So, hang on. I, I'm sorry, I hate ESPN's autoplay feature. I was trying to catch the Wichita State game update. All right, no worries. It's that time of the it's that time of the year. If you're a fan of college basketball, it's great. For the rest of the normal world, it's just we have to listen to everyone else. I, well, I, I'm not a college basketball fan, but I just, uh, anytime there's a chance of a sport really making history, you, you kind of want to pay at least cursory attention to it, and so I, I don't 
by any stretch of the imagination necessarily favor Wichita State going all the way to win to win the championship. But right now they actually are an NCAA record thirty five and oh because they just um they apparently oh uh, Cal Poly Tech like Cal Poly Tech owed them money. Um sixty four to Alright, so for Robert Cooper, for Sean Comer, I am Robert Winfrey, reminding you that bad guys are the spice of life. They make your, your hero is only as good as your bad guy. And without bad guys, heroes are just guys in tunnels. So say goodnight to the bad guys.